Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the now CSGO Hour podcast. Today we're joined by Duncan Thorne Shields, the Kobe Bryant of CSGO, and the usual guests, uh, Megan and Miss. Thank you for joining us, Thorne. Yeah, not bad. Why am I the Kobe Bryant of CSGO, though? I mean, you got to think, like, I know you're like a big basketball fan, and so I had to, yeah. I had to do a basketball <laughs> reference, right? And I mean, okay. you know, Black Mamba kind of fits the personality. So Sure. Okay, I thought you were going to go with, because in CS, like a Kobe is obviously when you throw a nade and you land right. on him, so that's like kind of like my banter bombs or something like that. <laughs> that would be a bit tenuous, I guess. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of preparation right there, right? <laughs> something like that, yeah. Uh, well, one team that did come prepared to start a series was Navi, as it looked like the team definitely had a lot of more stuff prepared, even though it wasn't the many top-tier teams, like Astralis or FaZe, but they did have okay. teams like Liquid, North, like that. So how do you feel about Navi winning a Tier 1 event? Yeah, the, like that is obviously the problem, is that you didn't have... I mean, to me, it's the Astralis is, is more significant than FaZe not being there because, you know, there's no saying FaZe would necessarily have won the tournament, especially because obviously no one knows. It. At the time, you would have assumed they'd have brought Olaf back if he was going. So, yeah, unfortunately, the fact that Astralis isn't there and that they are so absurdly dominant means it's not really the same as winning a, a Tier 1 tournament other times in CSGO because there really is like that one dominant team that you've got to play against. So it still definitely means a lot. Like I still think it's pretty significant. We had a pretty good list of teams here. I think for me, it doesn't really put Navi that much ahead of where they were before because they were already really up there just behind Astralis, I thought. But I mean, it's certainly good to beat Mouse Sports. I think that's pretty satisfying for them when you consider how the last Star Series ended where they lost in the final to them. I think outplacing teams like Liquid, SK, these are all pretty good results. So I think Navi's right there behind Astralis. It's just unfortunately, I think the gap between Astralis and everyone else is big enough that it doesn't really matter who's number two in that sense. And it's a bit depressing because while they are number two, it's hard to see how they can ever be number one at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's just like, even with the strengths they have, there's so many flaws in Navi still that you can point out. It's just that the strength of having simple is just so strong that it makes up for all the flaws. So yeah. it's yeah. kind of ridiculous. Well, the weird thing about them as a team is that like this is where I feel like people maybe do buy into like narratives too much. Because if you looked at the team last year, it really was just like simple, hard carrying, especially before they got Zeus in. Like they were a really terrible team and he, he was the only good thing about them. And then you look at them this year because the last Star Series in particular was where he was just absolutely on fire and pro might have played like the best tournament in history, even though he didn't win the tournament. That really was so sort of like extreme the difference between him and his teammates that unfortunately i feel like it made a lot of people think that that's still the case now that it's just he hard carries and everyone else in navi is absolutely fucking terrible whereas to be fair if you look at them almost the tournament after that they already started to fix things they started to get electronic involved a lot more i think actually at this star series it was very very significant how much better edward was he really was like a liability in the last few tournaments even zeus had a few decent games and generally, you look at Na'Vi's map pool, it's expanding. They seem like their T-side's gotten a lot better. They actually don't only rely on simple. They do still have by far the best player, and he does absolutely hard carry. But they, they basically, they play around it more. And it seems like as a team, they at least have an idea of what identity they want as a team. So I'll give them credit. I think they have improved as a team, which 
you know, it wasn't a guarantee. But the problem is, yeah, if, if Simple was if Simple was even at ninety percent of the level he's at now, I don't think they could win any of these tournaments. They'd probably just be like, you know, a good fourth best team in the world or something. I think. Yeah. So that. Yeah. The comparison I would make is like to the last Star Series. I remember a game in the group stage they had against Heroic, where they were up like 11-4, like 12-3 on the CT side of Mirage. And then on the T side, like Sybil got like 22 kills on CT side. And then on T side, he got like nothing. And the T side in that map was one of the worst I've ever seen. And yeah. then like at this Star Series, it's completely different. It's not like you get those games at all. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember that game specifically. And in fact, that entire series was like, so, that's one of the most ridiculous ones of Simple having a hard carry. Because they also had a game on train earlier. It might have been the first map even where like almost every entry he gets on the T side of train is just simple, like runs up with an AWP or an AK and just kills someone. So like, that's not tactics at that point in time. Like no one can just tell a guy to go, you start a player, especially to just go and kill someone. That's, that's why it's become a meme on Reddit. But yeah, I agree this time around, it was actually, this is the weird thing about that period though, is that that doesn't really fit with Zeus's history at all, because in the past when he was in Navi, obviously when he was in Gambit, he was a pretty good in-game leader, you know. He was a guy who actually had a pretty good read on the game. I mean, I just actually released some content today with uh, Sean Gares where he picks Zeus as one of the in-game leaders that he wanted to talk about on my Mount Rushmore feature. And one of the things he talks about is kind of the style that Zeus had in CSGO, which was a lot more based around, like, basically, you just take map control, you set up for simple trades, and then you make a read late in the round. Like, you try and get all the information you can, basically. You try and take up as much space as you can on the map. And then the idea is, it's kind like got, I mean, he doesn't make this example, but it's my analogy. In basketball, one of the reasons why passing is actually super uh, effective is because a defender can't run as fast as you can throw the ball. Like they just physically can't get there. So if you have great ball movement in counter in basketball, you can always get the uh, an open shot basically. And it's kind of like that on the terrorist side in Counter Strike because if you use map control properly and you use your utility properly to push the CTs back and you make a good read, in theory they could never have the three defenders at the site you want to attack if you've done that accurately so that's why someone like Zeus I always thought was one of the best at sort of grinding out rounds in the past yeah he had a really terrible period after Gambit when he came back to Navi he just looked like his style was completely busted he saw a lot of rounds they just went in late they never got the bomb down sometimes they were just gambling entirely they didn't even seem to get any information I think now you're finally getting back to kind of what you expect from him in the past and then now if he can do that you can look past his flaws as an individual player yeah because i think one of the things that they're really good at now as well is zeus will have all these bait setups with simple where he will just like the the enemy will try to like abuse a position where zeus is playing and they'll just move simple into that position and he will just destroy everyone yeah, I think it's very effective as well because, I mean, you look at how many teams, if they play against North, they try and find where MSL is going to be all the time. This has actually been, I mean, it's it's kind of a standard way to play if you've got an analyst, basically, who can give you the tendencies. But the problem is most teams don't have the luxury of a player who could go and do that. Like, it sounds great in theory to say, like, oh, G2, just move Kenny S wherever, you know, Body was playing or wherever NBK is, you know. The problem with that is Kenny S as fabulous a player as he is, plays his spots. You know, he knows every angle of the spots he plays and how to take it if it's an aim duel or if it's someone flashes him off or if it's a pure op versus op. 
if you put him on a new spot, he's going to be less effective. So I think, if anything, smart on Zeus's part, but what an absurd luxury to have a star player who can just say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll just go to that spot and kill everyone if they come there. I mean, I, I can't really think of any other player in history who could probably do it. You make, uh, I guess, a good point there. So would you compare, like, the Anavi to being a one, like, something like the Warriors? You can talk about ball movement. So, like, a team that's big on, like, small ball movement, like the Warriors. So that's more of a team based on offense. So how would you feel about Navi's defense on, like, CT side? Yeah, as a team, they're quite unusual, I think, because, like, again, on CT side, so much of it is based on simple for my money. Like, it, it, it basically, that's one of the reasons also why I think the, the move to replace him with where Zeus is, is actually more significant than people realize. Like I realized, as I said, just said that no one else can really do it. So it's not like he can mimic it. But I remember when they had the Nico sports lineup where it was the bad mouse sports, but Nico was absurdly <laughs> good. And I'm not joking. I've seen games where the te- the enemy team just literally decides on like cash or something. Like let's just not go to Nico's site. And they just hit the other site over and over again. Because logically it's going to be a lot harder for Nico to win like a 2v4 retake than it is if you just come to his site and he takes three three aim duels with the first three guys to run in. So like we've seen that get abused te- against teams in the past. I don't think you can really do it against Na'Vi because as we've mentioned, they've kind of figured out the dynamic there. I think generally their CT side's a bit unusual because I've noticed even on the CT side, Zeus actually often will die quite early because if you've ever seen, even back in 1.6, he's one of these weird in-game leaders who doesn't play passive. He actually almost doesn't mind dying as long as he thinks he gets information from it. So if he gets the info, can feed it to his team, then I think his logic is like, it's fine to push at times because either I'm going to find there's nothing there in flank or I'm going to get the info call for my team and then my team will have super fast rotation. So it's definitely a different way of looking at the game. I'm not entirely sure it's the most effective, but to be fair, when you come from a totally different region like the CIS region, you, you have your own meta game that develops there. It doesn't really have much to do with how like Danish people play Counter-Strike, for example. <laughs> I mean, you are right about that. But one day, I guess that was happy about uh, the event was uh, North. I know a lot of people were saying North or maybe a dark horse for top eight. We had Anders on last week, and he said North could probably be top eight. And then and that was me that said that. And yeah, <laughs> you said, all right, all right, we'll I give you credit. But I felt like North are a decent team. They have good stars, but making top four and then not beating Energy kind of felt like an oxymoron almost. Whereas Energy was a team that you would think on metrics North should have won because they have better star players, more consistent players, and they should have a deeper map pool, relatively speaking. But Energy have been good online, but I don't understand how that translates to LAN, especially now after Starlight is best of three. But how do you feel about Energy's run at compared to like North's run at, say, Starlighter? Yeah, it's bizarre because on the one hand, I think you could make a pretty solid case that North overperformed even without being NRG. Like, I think it's pretty absurd to think that they were top four. I actually personally favor them to win that series because, you know, NRG had been so up and down over the first few lands. I thought, you know, maybe they've just had some good games and they're going to fall off. Whereas, as you said, at least in terms of the raw players, either more experienced or they're just better players on North, at, at least historically, you know, if, if we're going to see the NRG players do some of the things they did at this tournament, that might that might change on LAN. Uh, certainly North has the better map pool. 
So, I mean, I actually have to say one thing I'll credit to North, which I thought really changed it, it, this particular tournament, was every other MSL team I've seen in the past either just wasn't a good enough team, so they had a very limited map pool, or in the case of when they became North, they were a good team and they had a lot of depth and good players, but they just never punished in the veto. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen because MSL really had the logic of like, well, if I like if I really believe my Cobblestone and Mirage are the best in the world, I'll just pick those every time I have the chance. It doesn't matter if you know i play nuke and you don't play nuke and nukes available and so as a result not only did he never punish but the other side of the punish is it makes people have to know you can punish and they will have to ban something like a nuke like something else and whether or not you would have, would have picked it it opens up a different third map so i think actually he really undercut some of his best lineups with his the most talent when he had config and magus and cajun you know a team that probably should have been able to win more tournaments maybe make a deeper on it a major he never managed it so this time around i think his lineup was much much worse i think this lineup is comparable to some of the bad days in digitas when he was sort of working with like one or two good players or he was hoping someone makes some like leap up in play like one and a half times the level you've seen before which i think would apply to someone like a mertz i think kirby plays a lot worse valde's pretty good player but is he good enough to be like a top five player which you probably need if he's going to be the main star still yet to be determined i think part of the problem at this tournament was if you look who they actually beat I don't think they really beat any good teams i think they were uh, they were one of the teams that won the lottery that they got on that easy side of the bracket the fact they even had a shot at the finals because team liquid didn't turn up and go to the semis so the north side of things i do think they overperformed in terms of placing and generally they looked a little bit better than i've seen in the past i would agree though i thought they were underwhelming if you actually look who they played against like i mean on paper you should have been in the final that should have been par for the course in terms of nrg that's a really tough one because I, I, I never understood where the controversy was in saying that they were onliners because they were so exceptionally good on online play, especially in ECS, that like if they'd have done that online, they would have probably been one of the best NA teams to ever play CSGO. So I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that a team where three star players are all somewhat unproven as star players, you know, when you compare them to Europeans, is probably not going to have all three or maybe even two of the three turn up at that level. I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation. So if you look at them now, they are onlineers. It's just that what happened was at this tournament, I mean, I wouldn't even say at this tournament they had many big scalps. What, they beat Hellraisers, did they? I think that was one they won maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, oh, Team Liquid's obviously the big one, but right. I think Team Liquid definitely played their own part in losing that series. And also... It's going to sound cheap, but you will just always have more variance in domestic matchups because, I mean, like, first of all, some of these players have played on teams with those players. They obviously play them all the time in scrims. They play them in FP, well, ESEA or whatever. So as a result, there's not really the same intimidation factor as if you played, I think, like an equivalent. Like if you'd have played mouse sports, I think it's much more likely that you'd, you'd feel the pressure in that match. So I'll certainly give credit to Anaji. Great run up until the final. You could see, though, in the final... Like it's not like Navi are the most difficult team in the team in the world to play, but that NRG team was absolutely shook in that final. So unfortunately, I think like the nerve aspect did catch up to them. So I'll give them credit. Much better tournament than you probably should expect. Maybe this does hint at something in the future, but I mean, this is the outlier at the moment. Not all the other tournaments. So I just want to touch on the North point a little bit because 
I, I agree with you in the sense that they definitely tried to punish other teams more in the pick ban. Like, they would pick Dust 2 and Nuke sometimes and stuff like that. But in terms of actually in the game, I thought that they looked like 10 times better on Mirage compared to any other map. Where, like, on Mirage, every T side, they would go, like, 10-5 on the T side or 11-4. And then you watch their Dust 2 T side, for example, and they get, like, two rounds every time they're on the T side there. Or their train against a go where they look, they didn't look that good at their CT side on Inferno and stuff like that. So they definitely have a lot of work to do there. Well, there's also this weird aspect. I mean, you never know what people are just spitballing in interviews and what's real. But I saw there was an interview, I think it was HLTV.org, did it, where MSL actually said bizarrely that he's trying a mid-round call now, which famously, again, actually this, this ties into the piece of content I said I did with Sean Gesk. He picks MSL as one of his names. And actually, because this is done before the tournament, one of the things he says he admires about MSL is that MSL does stick to the old bread and butter execute style of Counter-Strike, where you set up your base and then you just call a tactic off that. You know, there's no real, you're reading the game just to call from your playbook basically you're never going to just call something totally on the fly or mix it up or play off a star player where supposedly msl is now trying to integrate that into his team and if, if he's doing so presumably it can only have been this line and maybe drew mac tours that he's done it at so to, to radically change your in-game leading style is going to definitely take a transition period you're not going to instantly become good at that style because it's actually a, a style that people mainly have emphasized in CSGO. So if it's not something he's done historically, I don't really think he has the background for it. But I can see why they would integrate it because that's actually something that Ave, who's now the coach of North, was pretty famous for in 1.6. Like he not only had the best anti-strats, a great playbook, but he was fantastic at coming up with impromptu stuff on the fly that also could work kind of in the middle ground. And so it's kind of bizarre to see MSL doing some of this stuff. And so I think it makes sense that his Mirage is still very good, but he hasn't figured out the other maps. But I doubt you're going to see it, it click into place overnight. Touch on the NRG point, I found that like Cirque and like Fugly, like Cirque finally like showed up. He like, I think he uh, played a lot better than he did sure. before. And I find Fugly was Fugly was uh, like overperforming in my opinion. Yes, I think we can expect that as much. And he was like really crucial for them to get to that final. I can That's see actually that the thing. That, yeah, that was also why I'm a bit hesitant to kind of be like, you know, they've they've got over the land nerves. They're going to be really good because. I, I actually think I said this on Twitter, like bearing in mind, it's not like people like Cirque, you know, like were MVP candidates, despite the make of the final. Generally, they did kind of do it by committee with their stars and they never really had anyone who sort of like blew everyone else away. They just played good. They played better than the other lands. The problem is the big outlier was Fugly because his level mm -hmm. and his fragging was way above what you'd expect. And when you get that from someone who essentially is your support player, not only are you going to look great because you get all these frags from an area of the game, you're probably not usually expecting it, but that almost certainly will not carry over. Like this is a player, yeah. we've, we've seen this guy for years and years now. He's not an all right player, mm -hmm. but I'm relying on him more for experience and be a team player than to put frags on the board. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think my issue with uh, energy is Cirque. I feel like a lot of times you'll see him say they're taking a site and he'll have the op and he loves the op. He doesn't really go on the rifle that much compared to some other oppers like maybe a Skadoodle even, even though Skadoodle has his own issues. But I think with Cirque, like a lot of times he'll shy away from a fight and let somebody else die and then he'll take the kill. Like, for example, on CT side, on overpass, on the B site, he'll sit in heaven. And I think he had a chance to save Ethan's life on the B site, but he let him he let him die. And then he got the refrag when he could have had a two advantage and they could have won the round. And I think a lot of times Cirque does that. And I'm not a big fan of Cirque. I think he has a really 
uh, I want to say like a flashy style, some like a henny almost, where like he goes for a lot of these like quick frags, look really cool, and then miss some of the easier shots. I don't know. I just don't feel like he's going to translate well online online in the future. And I don't know. I just don't feel like that team really has a lot of repeatability. But I think Daps has done a great job with the team so far. Oh, yeah. I would give a lot of props to Daps. Like, he's actually someone I've always been an admirer of. Him and FNS, I thought. I mean, obviously, FNS got his chance recently in C9. But I always thought they were like the underrated guys in the NA scene. Because, unfortunately, the NA scene is so dominated by the egos of the star players. I'm doing, like, air quotes there since it's not a podcast. <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, they just tend to believe that you can just play ESEA style and that you don't need an in-game leader. So they, if you ask the other players, they all think, like, FNS and Daps are just bots who can't frag and, like, who cares about tactics anyway basically so sadly you know they're only going to get their chances in these teams like fns and clg now daps and nrg so i think when you look at what they're working with i mean this is a massive overperformance if you're in game leader for daps it's fantastic made it to the final of international tournament but in terms of cirque i do think the upside is that in this particular team like i'm not sure about breezy because we have seen him for a decent amount of time I mean, i've been seeing him since, since like 2016 i think on land so yeah. I am a bit concerned about the fact he hasn't come along much. I don't. I also get the sense that he maybe doesn't have the personality to be a star player. But Ethan is still relatively young enough that I could still see him having some growth left. And I would say in terms of Cirque, he's not only young, but he's also pretty inexperienced as a player. So a lot of what you mentioned there, I mean, this could absolutely come down to when you're online and, and it's just one game out of whatever 16, I mean, who cares if you miss this shot, you know, you'll just play however you want. But if you get to a land scenario, you will definitely have certain pressures and certain decision-making paths cut off just by the being a prisoner of the moment. Oh, I'm playing against this amazing team or I haven't done well so far this game, so I've got to ensure I get my first kill off. There's all sorts of things that, you know, you have, this is part of becoming a pro. So I do think in terms of Cirque and Ethan, there's some growth could go on. So probably mm-hmm. the most, most primed to have that. And I think actually, it, I, I feel bad for him in a way because he is a victim of his own success. If he hadn't have blown everyone away online and NRG hadn't have been so outrageously good, he wouldn't have this much scrutiny on him. So he might have actually had a little bit more time to develop. Whereas, yeah, we're going to look at him now and say, why aren't you doing all the stuff you're doing against everyone online? That's a good point. I think with Ethan, like on CLG, he was pretty good. When CLG had like FNS and they had I'm a pet and they were like going to, I think it was the Star Ladder where they had a good run there. You know, like I had a good game against uh, Australis. But I think, I feel like Ethan, he probably has, definitely has room to grow. But um, another team, I guess, that would say should be doing better is Team Liquid. Whereas they had top eight. I remember you tweeted that the, the bracket was made for them. And I'm like, oh, let's go. Team Liquid, I'm going to event. I can be happy once again. And then they lose energy. Why do you think they lost energy in the bracket stage when in the group stage they beat them easily? I mean, it's bizarre. It's one of those ones where... Like, I actually know some of the people on Team Liquid. So it's de- I, I don't, I'm the sort of person, I don't tend to ask people after they lose at an event, even if I see them, I kind of give them space to, to process it, to deal with it, et cetera. I think it's just polite. But I, that's definitely the sort of thing I'll be asking some of them to try and get some kind of insight on because I think that's an incredibly bizarre loss. Like, yes, as I said, on the NRG side of things, there's all sorts of reasons as to why you should be able to be play against Team Liquid. You should be more comfortable. There's not really as much reason to fear them. That all makes sense, but that shouldn't have mattered if Team Liquid turn up and play the way they do against all the other top teams at all the big tournaments. Like, they, they, you know, NRG could have turned up and made it close, but I think Team Liquid almost certainly would have won. So I found that a really mind-boggling series. I think, to be fair, you, you saw a lot of turnover in terms of the players that you normally wouldn't. Like, I don't think Naf had the best series. Normally, I, he, I would expect him to tear up domestic competition like that. I think if you look at the squad... 
I mean, I will say this. If you're going to be Zeus and you're going to do your homework on NRG, first of all, the temptation is to think, well, I already know them. We already play them online. We've already played them in this tournament, so I don't need to do that. You know, whatever I'm doing is working. Then there's the factor that if they play much better, well, if you're just looking at all the land demos, they're probably going to have all these wide open holes and tendencies that aren't going to be there if they play better, and especially if they play in a more confident fashion. So you maybe set yourself up with the wrong script in that sense. And also just generally... This is, this is a big problem a lot of teams have when they're at the stage Team Liquid's at. So if you're at the stage of a Mouse Sports, a Team Liquid, a Na'Vi, where you're like good enough to win tournaments, but that doesn't mean every tournament you're going to be in the final or top four. There's still like that little gap where you have to get the consistency up. One of the factors is you have to learn how to beat teams that are worse than you, basically, because if you're a phaser and astralis there's no excuse for like oh well they were just playing better that day or you know what they played really great on map what's like they still find a way to win no matter what like they can change things up they definitely don't get intimidated by lower level teams whereas actually i know some of the team liquid guys so you'll hear a lot of the analysts complaining that the reason why team liquid can't be number one because they've got all the tools on paper is because they don't really have like like who would be the superstar player who's going to be like simple or nico or cold zero even if they've got someone in terms of talent, there's no one in terms of mentality and there's no one on their team who would actually say, oh, I am the simple of the Nico or whatever. Unfortunately, they already have that guy. Well, I think that actually also comes back to bite you in the ass when you play the lower teams because then you get in mad scenarios where I can tell you as a fact, these guys came into this game looking past NRG and thinking we're going to win this for sure and then we're going to be in the semis, we're going to play who's it, North, AGO. You know, they, were, they really thought like I did, that the bracket was theirs. So when you then start to lose a game like that, that's where you see if you're a veteran because veterans can come back, they can steady themselves, they can win on the other person's map. And I think that's where you saw some of the inexperience or maybe just hubris from Team Liquid. I'm actually not that guy. I'm not the guy who watches many NA games, though, in terms of online competition. So, so did you have any thoughts from having seen NRG in other matches as to why they won this game? Um, for me, I guess I watched, yeah, I watched a good bit of like FPL for sure. Like, cause now I have NA has the FPL and or ACA rank S and it's funny that team liquid, none of their players play FPL rank S famously. I know NAF okay. occasionally does, but whereas the players like search and them use are pretty good in FPL. And I think that's interesting cause you learn a lot of bad habits there, but then again, sometimes those bad habits could be useful, I guess, against a team like liquid where they're used to looking for something peeking behind a flash or peeking behind a smoke or something like that. So when you have like the Stewie 2K kind of puggy style, it can be, I guess, kind of hard to anti-strat because there's no thinking behind it. So I guess that could be one issue. But I feel like um, with Team Liquid, they, they have lost to like teams like United Online. Famously, they lost to them 2-0, and I believe it was ECS. So Team Liquid are not definitely not, like uh, you should say, uh, perfect online. And Energy, of course, have been famous to be very good. So I don't really understand why they disappointed. I guess maybe because every time Liquid's in like a position of strength, they never really done well. Like for like ESL one New York against FaZe, I remember you think you picked them to win that uh, match, and then they got 3-0'd pretty hard. So every time Team Luka has like some good momentum, they're feeling really good, it seems like they would kind of fall flat. So I don't know if it's a mental thing or if it's something more than that, but that's what it seems to be normally. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there definitely is that factor of teams that it's not even that they have to be the underdogs. It's just if they have pressure, they perform worse, you know. I mean, it's obviously a bullshit excuse because if you want to be one of the best teams, you're not going to be the underdog. So right. like, you can't you can't exactly choose to be in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, I'll almost go as far as to say that this was like Liquid's tournament to win where like they, when Astralis isn't there, I mean, this is the time when you've got to pounce like, I would 
maybe not go too far as to say it's unforgivable, but it's nearly unforgivable. Like, I made this article a week ago where I made a list of the best players to never win a 250k event, and the number one and number two were Elise and Nitro. So it's pretty it's pretty telling that they're on that list because they've they've never gotten to that top position, even though they always get top four or they always get second place. Like, maybe they're lacking that killer instinct. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would agree, by the way. Like, I know, obviously, everyone, like, unfortunately, this is just the way Counter-Strike is. Like, Pete, one of the things people seem incapable of doing, which, I mean, I, I think I do a pretty good job with, is I make a distinction between when I'm joking and it's banter and when I'm making a serious point. So if I actually say that I think someone's a terrible player and their style's totally outmoded and what they're doing is ruining the, the, the game for their team... You know, I'm making a serious point. If I just like laughed, say, oh, that guy's a bit shit because, you know, he's a bit of a weirdo and what the fuck's going on. You can see that's a joke. Now, the, the reason why this is significant is if you'd have saw all those people who went in on Moses because he picked Team Liquid to win this tournament, you would have thought that he was like some imbecile for picking them. And like, why would you ever pick Team Liquid? They were actually the de facto obvious team to pick. For me, there was only three real choices. It was Mouse Sports, Na'Vi, and Team Liquid. Mouse has been on something of a downward trend. Na'Vi, again, it's so reliant on simple. I mean, that would be the easiest team to underperform. And Team Liquid, actually, I mean, they have so many good players. They've had so many good recent tournaments this year. They've beaten so many big teams in best of three. I think they were the logical choice on paper. I picked Na'Vi personally, just because I thought simple would be amazing. And I kind of gambled on that, I guess. But I thought picking Team Liquid was pretty reasonable. So yeah, I, I agree. Without FaZe and without Astralis, there's not really much of an excuse, at a minimum for not making like top four, making the final. And I agree. I think they probably should have won the tournament. But yeah, unlike Mouse Sports, Na'Vi, they still do kind of lack some of that killer instinct. And it, here's the, one of the things that's weird about that is it doesn't have to be all the players. Like, I mean, I once made this point in a video that one of the reasons why I thought it was actually significant when Taco left SK is that I don't think every player in SK had killer instinct and was always amazing in clutch scenarios and felt no fear. I think what happens is when you're playing with like Fallen and he does magical shit every time he's in a 1v2 and you're playing with Cold Zero and he wins clutches for fun and gets to kill every single round, I think you start to get pretty fucking confident in what your, your role is and then you know what you might even start to think ah oh, well the game I'm better than this person on the other team you're definitely not by the way if you tackle like grow the fuck up but you could certainly feel that way because you're always winning the game the game tells you your team won the match so you think hey I'm getting confident I think that's one of the great aspects of when you got the right those people in your team so for Team Liquid it might only be one or two players I mean if I think if someone like Naf came through with more of a bit of like a leadership by example aspect. I think Elise is obviously the guy I've put it on for many years because this is one of the reasons why uh, I'm so critical of some of these teams. It reminds, the Team Liquid team now reminds me of the Astralis core when they were in Dignitas like four years ago, basically, because they were the exact same type of team. They had such an amazing balance of really skilled players, you know, two or three that could have all been world-beater type players. They would always play to a pretty high level. They'd get like top four in most tournaments, but that's why you could bank on them to always lose that big semifinal against the big name team because when they got in that pressure situation, the difference was Get Right or Shocks or Kenny S or whoever it's going to be is going to take over the game. It's going to play to the best level you can ever expect. Meanwhile, on the, the, at the time, Dignitas, 
Device would have an okay game and then he'd have a bad map and Cage and B would do really well on her half, but then cool off and Dupree would be all right, but they didn't have such good... T- and at the end, you know, you could look around and go, well, it wasn't really any one person's fault, was it? You know, we win as a team, we lose as a team, which is what losers say. Losers have all sorts of excuses in the back pocket as to why they lost. Whereas one of the great things about being a superstar player like a simple, like a cold zero is part of the reason why you can make outrageous demands and why you get all the credit is because you actually have to do it every time and if you don't if you even just I mean remember that tournament Simple had I think it was the one EPL right where he still finished with like 0.8 KPR and everyone was like he had a real off tournament didn't he you know his level really dropped down it's like that that's the world you want to live in if you're a superstar so for Team Liquid they definitely got the players to do it but where is that guy? I'm still waiting for him to come forwards. And unfortunately, it's just my style. I don't just sit back and go, well, let's just wish upon a star that one day they become. I sort of just say, you can't cut it. Is it any of you got any balls? Is anyone going to, you know, you've got to challenge them a little bit and hopefully someone emerges. Yeah. So when you got a team like that, like, do, do you have to make a change, even though you have all these like good pieces on paper that you want to say they should all stay in the team pretty much? I wouldn't make a change if I was Team Liquid. Like, I can't really think who they would be able to get, assuming they have to get NA players. Uh, I actually thought, funnily enough, it's a similar problem that the Cloud9 lineup that won the Major had. I mean, listen, it, at the end, of win the Major, so I guess that doesn't matter, but there's a reason they didn't become a dominant team and they didn't bag like three or four trophies. So I think it's actually a, a problem that a lot of the NA teams have, and it kind of ties back into what I said about FNS and DAPS. If you're going to make these teams where it's like, haha, isn't this hilarious? We've got three really good players who can all play scrimmy style and shoot everyone. So, well, brilliant. If you want to try and make that a, a team that wins every tournament in the world, you'll be the first person to manage it, I think, mate. So <laughs> I, I don't really think the NA teams generally would, first of all, make that move. Like, politically, I don't really see who you can cut from the team. Definitely doesn't help that Cloud9's in a worse spot. So it's not like you've got a team to go to, which could have happened over the last year or so with some of these stars. So I would say the one upside for Team Liquid is they are a very young team on average. And I think when you've got... Someone like Taco, who I think is doing his job very well. You've got a pretty good coach in Zeus. You've got all this talent. I think it's fine to wait a year. And it is absolutely plausible that everything else in the team could be at a good level. And you just need one of those guys to kind of make that personal growth. And I think you'd be right where you need to be. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. But um, I guess one team that did have, I think, something more of a different kind of story liquid would be Ego, AGO. And so we saw them, I feel like it was last year or maybe earlier this year, that we saw them kind of flirt with being a top 20 team. And then now at this event, they had a decent run. I mean, it wouldn't be like the most notable run, but it did make the playoffs. Unlike VP, which have been on the decline. So how do you feel about AGO being the up-and-coming team in Poland and VP being the um, team that's on the downslide? And do you think VP will split up? Uh, I thought AGO was probably the team that ended up, unfortunately, being the most underrated at the tournament. Because if you look at it, like, this is where the tournament was a bit unfortunate. Because since like half of the teams weren't like huge names, it meant that you look through everyone's win-loss record at the tournament. And even though everyone played a million series, you're like, hmm, this isn't that crazy a run. But then you realize, how can you? I mean, there's only sort of the three or four really big names. So unless they play each other, you can't have a sick list of scalps. Whereas AGO, as one of those underdog teams, actually got a whole bunch of scalps. Like I think off the top of my head, I think they beat both Nip and Mouse at this tournament. I think that might be correct. So they got some some pretty big scalps, obviously beat some very notable names. And it's no joke to beat the 
mouse sports team, especially on LAN. So I thought overall, yeah, pretty impressive. Unfortunately, I do think they choked in that series against North. Like I thought it, MSL did a pretty decent job. He did some pretty good calling on some of the maps, but that was way too close. He definitely gave them a lot of chances back in. And I think you just saw like some of the fragging dropped off for their team, which, I mean, unfortunately that is to be expected when you haven't been in a lot of big playoff scenarios. I know this isn't like a totally brand new core because some of these players you will remember from some of the old teams. I mean, actually one of them... I think like two of them maybe were in that team that made it to the major in like 2015, inclusion of poker and maybe Cologne as well. Uh, so they've got some experienced players. They've got some that are less experienced, but as a team, this particular line obviously yeah, hasn't done a lot on land. So I thought they were pretty solid overall. My big concern is when you tie it into the Virtus Pro situation, because Virtus Pro is terrible right now. And I actually don't even know if they're much worse than last year. I think they've still got a lot of the same problems, even though I thought me who wasn't a good addition. So the concern is this, would the budget that Virtus Pro has, if they if they decide to keep cutting off one limit at a time, then it's almost certain that anyone on AGO would leave and go to Virtus Pro. So unfortunately, you would ruin the AGO team and probably not improve Virtus Pro that much because I feel like that's a team where you, I think you have to sort of pick one or two players and just rebuild from the beginning. So something some of the other analysts suggested, which I think would be a great idea for Virtus Pro, is either pick like one Virtus Pro player and then just get all the rest of AGO, which I think that's a pretty good idea, or just cut all of Virtus Pro and get AGO. Now, I don't really see the last option happening because unfortunately, if you want to do marketing stuff, you've probably got to keep some big names. But put it this way, this is the reason why it's not that radical kind of a thought experiment. I always do this. Whenever you've got an old legacy player and you're thinking to yourself, ah, should they cut him? Ask yourself this question. If they cut him tomorrow, fully released him from his contract, and there was no buyout, which teams would actually pick this guy up? And if the answer is almost nobody good, then he's fucking garbage and he should be gone now. And so the problem I have with Verse boys, if they cut all those players tomorrow, we live in an era where if you can speak English, you can join Mouse Sports, FaZe, and A-teams. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, most Virtus Pro players do not get an offer from anyone who has a competent team right now. They'd only get offered from either another org that wants to use them for marketing purposes or other Polish teams, basically. So I think that's like a, a really worrying sign if you're Virtus Pro and you want to keep that lineup in terms of the core. I mean, the thing, the, the standout player for me from AGO is definitely Snatchy. Like, you see yes. Tasha tweeting all these like, like sad tweets every time he, they exit out of the tournament. Like, he, it seems like he's going to retire. Well, maybe, but like, if you're snatching, you get a call from VP, you're obviously going to take that. And like you say, it'll ruin AGO and then it'll make VP probably the same. But I do think snatchy was really might good. It might tournament. even ruin think- snatchy, unfortunately, because the other thing is, you look at Virtus Pro, <laughs> man alive, these guys have a, a face like a slapped ass. Like, they're just like crying their eyes out every time they go out last place. I mean, you'd think they'd be used to it. They've done it about 17 <laughs> times in the last 20 lines or something. Like, it's, it's the problem is, I actually get the feeling that if you put a young player in the mix with that team, it might be corrupted by the kind of negative atmosphere in the squad. Whereas if you bring someone in, this is one thing I'll give credit to teams like Nip. I mean, to some degree, Fnatic over the years, it usually goes the other way. You know, they bring a young player in and then hopefully they bring him up to their level and then suddenly he's playing at a higher level. I think if you put some of these people in Virtus Pro, they might go down a level, which I think you actually did see with me, who after he got his first few events on his belt, I think he kind of fell into the same spiral the rest of them are in. Yeah, I feel like that mentality in that whole team is just ruined. I think Mihu was like the only one wanting to play, it seemed like. And the rest just don't really care anymore. 
Unfortunately, they, a big problem they have, this is one of the reasons why I am personally in favor of them cutting Neo, is, okay, you can all make all the memes you want about, oh, Bialy plays too much PUBG. Like, listen, that guy is so talented. Even if, if he's actually playing as much yeah. PUBG as people make out, he's still a pretty fucking good player. Snacks, I think, is actually pretty not particularly good. It seems like, quite frankly, he's fucking around a bit. It's not great. But the problem is, Neo actually is one of those guys, no joke, who... Like, uh, there's not many people like this in Counter-Strike. There's, like, Simple, Cold Zero. From the old days, you've got, like, Get Right, MBK. These guys legitimately, like, load up CSDM, do, like, 100 AK kills, 100 Deagle kills, 100 op kills. Then they go play some matchmaking. Then they play FPL. Then they play their scrims. Then they maybe play some more to cool down. These guys are, like, the consummate professionals. The problem is Neo is in that mix. Like, this is a guy who really does put in the hours. He comes from, like, a martial arts background. He's played so much Counter-Strike in the past. The problem is that in the past... If he played that much, he'll always have a good level. His level's been terrible for the last year or so, and that was with him as the in-game leader, with him not as the in-game leader. So if someone's really trying that much and they're not very good, it's kind of like Freiburg towards the end of Nip. They probably just aren't good anymore. So I don't really know how you solve that problem. In my opinion, you just have to cut them. I like the joke you made, Miss, that uh, whenever you, a player does something good and the chat just spams 1.6, you know their yeah. shit. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's 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 the same scenario if anyone like says, ah, oh, you said this player was shit, look at this one map. It's like, right, well, here's the thing, with the players I think are good, I wouldn't need to link you one map, Mitch. Go watch right. the last five lands they played, I'm sure you're going to see it. Yeah. I agree with that, but one team I guess that has been kind of on the rise is SK, a team that has like say legacy players, but have been you know in bad form recently. I read an article about SK and how they've maybe they're not all full dead yet, and so Colzera has definitely had a monster tournament. I guess you say a Starlighter, even head to head against Simple, who's I guess now the best uh, player in the world. And do you think SK are going to keep showing uh, this improvement, or do you think that it's kind of temporary? Because I mean, it's kind of hard to say really how SK are doing right now. I don't know because. I just feel like their map pool is just kind of all over the place. So I don't know how to analyze that, per se. Oh, I think their map pool is terrible. I mean, if you look at it realistically, they basically have Inferno. So mm-hmm. props to them for somehow figuring that out. They've gotten pretty good on that map. Like, I want to say they have cash, but to be fair, anyone who plays cash right now will make their team viable at the top end of the scene because so many of the teams for the last six months that have been good don't like to play cash or directly ban it. So I think that that's like, I'm not really sure who actually is the best on cash. Like, I mean, I think even Astralis can beat most of the teams that like to play cash. So I'm not really sure there is like a world's best cash team at the moment. So once you get past Inferno and cash, the map pool is dropping off and shrinking massively for SK. Like obviously win rates are terrible because of all the lands, but even if you just use the eye test, like I think a lot of the other maps they're largely going to win off like Cold Zero having a massively improved performance at this LAN. Depends who calls. Like, for example, I think one of the reasons that their Mirage and Overpass have absolutely fallen off a cliff is that I think apparently those are the maps that Cold Zero calls in. So you don't see any of the amazing shit he used to do on those maps. He just suddenly... Be- it's funny, if, if this isn't proof that you can't have super high-fragging in-game leaders generally, just look at Cold Zero and SK right now. I mean, this is a guy whose game probably should have been fairly suited to being an in-game leader you know fairly passive late round plays off information and yet this guy's fragging 
on on those maps is crippled. Meanwhile, on Inferno, where Fallen calls, what do you know? He's one of the best players in the world again, winning all the clutches, doing all the things we remember of the cold of old. So that problem alone is not going to resolve itself. Like the idea of having two in-game leaders is, I mean, I don't even understand the concept of it. Like think about it. If you're playing that series against Na'Vi, you're literally switching in-game leaders per map. I mean, I'd even be taking this into account if I'm the other teams and being like, you know what? This map's like in the middle of my map pool, but I know fucking cold zero calls on it so let's go ahead and leave that in for the decider shall we you know i'd be i'd be cynical like that and challenge this guy to fucking i mean going into what i'd do is probably ridiculous i'd also just be like straight baiting him on twitter like come on man step up your ball. where's the flag of that so i guess really i can't expect players to do that but you see what i mean like that you can't i don't really see how you're going to win a tournament with two different in-game leaders mm-hmm. and quite frankly i know they don't want to hear it but the fallen game leading seems better so Unfortunately, if I had to guess, I don't think someone like Fallen like actually willingly stepped down. I think what happened was called Zera, and I've seen this happen many times in Counter-Strike history. When you're the secondary caller, you seem like a fucking genius. Because guess what? When you don't have ideas, you shut up. And the guy whose job it is to call calls the strats and sometimes bombs the game. Then when you have the odd really good idea, you go, ah, you know what? I've just had a great idea. Because you're just piping up with a good idea and you don't have to do every round, people go, hey, let's give it a try. When it works, you go, I'm a fucking genius, actually. I could probably do this all the time. What you soon find out when you actually call a whole game is when everything's going wrong, you can't just go, oh, have you got any ideas? Oh, wait, that's that's my job, yeah. Yeah, shout out luck, Anna. So I think that's what you've seen from Cold Zero. He thought grass was greener and that he'd be the star player and the in-game leader, but I think you've seen it wasn't particularly great. And then I'll also add, to be fair, another factor I think that's hurt them when they've put Cold Zero as in-game leader is... Everyone thought, oh, it's going to open up Fallen to be this monster. It doesn't look like he does anything different, to be honest. And in fact, one of the things that always amazed me about his in-game leading style is that he made that like super close range combat opening style part of his in-game leading. Like he would do it to get information or he would do it to be able to make a crazy call or he would hold a, a really close angle that meant that he could lock off a certain part of the map that then his team could go elsewhere. Like, I actually think it was how he used his fragging in the in-game leading style that made him so effective so if you just if you make him just an opera frankly right, right, i don't think he's going to be one of the best opers in the world they said um i'm pretty sure stewie 2k tweeted that he's calling on mirage so they have three igls that was and just in the group stage though because i asked oh, him okay. if he was going to do it in the playoffs and i think that they just did that as an experiment oh okay that's interesting because yeah. dude 2k used to be an igl dying for a little bit so i thought maybe you know he speak he thinks and speaks in english and so maybe he would become like a de facto like person to do like the IGLing and they could like talk in Brazilian while he talks in English to them maybe I thought that was a possibility but then I mean C2K as an IGL doesn't seem like you get the most complex of strats so it's yeah that's the party. problem it's like when we say IGL it's mm-hmm. sort of like like the kids version where you get a fucking badge or something it's like <laughs> you follow these three rats and win you know your opponents will hate it. It's like, do you really IGL? Like part of the problem is when he was at his best doing that in cloud nine, mm-hmm. it was actually some of the times when they weren't that great as a team. And actually he's another player I thought benefited massively from being the in-game leader. So I, it's not terrible in that sense. It might be a way to integrate him into the team, mm-hmm. but I doubt it's going to be a long-term like approach because for a start off in that team, he is massively down the pecking order in terms of like hierarchy and who they're going to listen to and who they're going to trust. So I could see them giving him the odd game, testing it out. I doubt they're going to go with that as any sort of real option though. 
still another issue I see with SK is um when on Inferno Bolts just I think Bolts plays A. I still see him like as a liability on that side. Like he just doesn't like look right. Like he looks lost sometimes while playing there. Does that make oh, sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But then yeah. again, that's also this is why SK right now is it's a pretty bad state of affairs. I know this tournament. Yeah, you know what? They probably could have made it to. Like, if they'd have played anyone other than Na'Vi, I think they actually could have made it to the final. They could have made it certainly mm. further in the tournament, but that's also with Cold Zero going off. So part of my issue is bringing in Stewie 2K didn't just affect Stewie 2K to tackle. It didn't just affect Cold Zero to fall because they swapped in-game leader role. It affected basically everyone in the team because apparently one of the reasons why they don't play overpass is they just feel like their style got played out on that map. So, for example, on that map, you don't see for pushing the bathrooms all the time like you did for like six months straight when no one could stop. He doesn't do that anymore. He's not even on that part of the map. He plays in B sometimes. So they've changed almost everything in the team. So really, it looks like, you know, it's four players plus two, two it's a totally different lineup. And so <laughs> I think Bolts is the guy who gets basically, well, to use Stunner's terrible paraphrase, the short end of the dick because... <laughs> <laughs> he gets put in the worst spots. He basically gets told, you're the new Taco. And it's like, first of all, there's very few people can do what Taco does and who the fuck would want to. And so as far as I can tell, like I also think he's got that thing going on where, uh, so a few years back in the NBA, it was for the 20, I think it was the 2013 season. There was that scenario where before the season began, the Lakers traded for Chris Paul. And part of the trade, it was a three-way trade with Houston, was that like Lamar Odom, I think went to the, I think he was going to the Pelicans. And I think Pau Gasol somehow was going to go to the Rockets. And it was like a three-way trade scenario where the Lakers got Chris Paul. But famously, the the NBA themselves vetoed the trade since they were actually technically like the janitor owners of the Pelicans at the time. And because that happened, when Lamar Odom found out like he'd been traded oh, but wait, you haven't, you're back on the Lakers. He literally just basically lost his shit and said like, fuck the Lakers and just left the Lakers as like a, some kind of mad scenario. Like I think he demanded to be traded and they traded him for like draft yeah. picks to the Clippers. And he, I think it was the Clippers he went to, or was it the Mavericks actually? It was one of those, it might've been the Mavericks. Whatever team he went to, basically like he lost all motivation. I mean, there's other factors that went on, but, and that was basically the end of his career. So I feel like there is an element of that with Bolts because you have to realize when they thought that that deal with Simple and Flamey was done, well, obviously Bolts is the other person with tackle getting cut. So that's like, you know, he's not an idiot. He's heard yeah. all the rumors. He knows, he's probably even hearing within the team. Yeah, you know, we're close to finalizing the deal. Oh, what's that? Simple's agreed the deal. He's going to get on a flight. Like, you think you're out the team. So when you then come back, you can't really be like, hey, hey guys, we're all cool. And you all believe in me, right? Like, no, we, we're trying to get you out the fucking door before your value went completely through the floor. So I, I, I feel for the guy. He's in a terrible situation right now. Like, I don't really know what you more expect from him, you know? Mm-hmm. SK are getting to that ridiculous point where whenever someone picks overpass against them as well, it's just an auto win. I think they're like zero and eight in their last eight games. Yes. I mean, admittedly, I think only like three or four with this lineup. But yeah, it, like the fact that going with this call back, it's so bad, does suggest they have completely gone off the boil on that map. Funnily enough, I mean, this might sound like a weird weird opinion but if you go back and check I think it plays out if you go back and look at the SK lineup from late last year when they got in bolts and then just before that I don't actually think they were ever godlike on overpass like it was mainly that we all just remember them tooling FaZe on it and FaZe was absurdly good on it so if you go and look at them against the other teams 
they didn't tend to like pick it that often. It seemed to me more like they definitely preferred Mirage, I think. And it was more, I think, just a specialist map they had against FaZe. And obviously FaZe was the best team. So there's lots of memorable wins on that one. So I already think they'd, after the kind of FNX era, they already started to like move a bit away from that. I think they preferred a bit of train over that. So when you now got in a scenario where half the team's playing badly and you've got all these gaps, like you've lost Taco, this amazing dedicated support player, Cold Zero's, I mean, killing his own game by becoming the in-game leader. Fallen hasn't played that great in about a year and a half, depending on what uh, end of year awards you're looking at. It's not going to be great, is it? I mean, who's there? <laughs> Even Fair's dipped off too from what he's used to being. Absolutely, yeah. I guess the other team that would dip off would be HR and Gambit. Gambit, after winning the major, well, their major hasn't been the greatest team, of course. And Hellraisers, they had a good event. I think it was at Taurus, this year's Taurus. And other than that, HR has been pretty awful. At least at this event, they, everyone beat Hellraisers. are kind of like the team that, hey, yeah. we beat Hellraisers, right? And then Gambit, I mean, they had a decent run. And then they said, all right, seized, uh, bye. And then I don't really understand the mindset of both those teams. I don't understand... The moves they're going to make, or if Hellraiser are going to break up, maybe Waxit goes to Space Soldiers, or who knows. But how do you feel about Hellraiser and Gambit's futures in the next couple of months? Yeah, unfortunately, these are two teams that are almost ruined by being locked into the mentality of the CIS region, which, first of all, like, let's be real. There's a lot of money in the CIS region, but there is also a lot of people who are gatekeeping that money who are, I mean, just by Western standards, somewhat unethical or a little bit shady. And so as a result, buyouts can be absurd for players who don't warrant that kind of buyout because the guy does understand business that, you know what, the player's only worth what you're willing to pay for him. So if I say he's worth this much and I don't want to let him go because he's actually a good player, then yeah, you have to jump through ridiculous hoops financially to get the players. Hence why Angel is still in Hellraisers. But Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, he would have been the captain of Na'Vi instead of Zeus. That would have happened. Mm -hmm. The players Mm -hmm. in Na'Vi wanted it. Then after that, he would have been the game leader of the Optic Gaming lineup that had a bunch of really good players and he would have been in mouse sports. All these teams wanted the guy. They all thought he was a stud. You cannot get him out of Hellraisers for whatever reason. So then when you go to the Hellraisers side of the equation, I'd actually, despite them asking these ridiculous buyouts, so they actually probably could benefit massively from selling Angel. They don't seem to me like a team that has a lot of money because you think of the players they've had. Okay, so they had, once they quit being a CIS only team, they then started picking up all those players from... Czech Republic, Slovakia, these that that region of teams that I, I don't know what the name of them was. It's basically the people who are in the V4 Future Festival region. Mm-hmm. They started picking up those players. I'll tell you why, because they're very cheap and they didn't have a good team of their own. So they're all willing to play for you. Then after that, he's gone this approach of taking other sort of like outlier talents or so Woxic, Issa. These are players where, again, there's no team from Jordan or from Space Soldiers that's really going to be like a world beater. So they're absolutely going to come play for you, maybe for a low salary relative to other top European teams, but better than they could get in their own region. And also they don't come from, there's not really much competition as to who else could get them. So you can kind of get good players on the cheap, which for me is what Hellraiser is about right now. So I actually think where they are as a team makes a lot of sense for where they are like, if I had to guess, I would say whatever they pay their players, they probably get a hell of a deal in terms of the actual placings they get. And then also, if you go look at the placings, I do feel like Hellraiser's got pretty overrated because for me, they don't actually win big best of three series against top 10 teams. If you go and look, what happens is they do really well in best of ones 
where they can just get to those middle maps that everyone plays, Inferno, Overpass, Mirage, and they can get some wins over good teams, but that's a best of one. When you put them in actual best of threes, they tend to be like the bullshit moral victory team of like, oh, but look how close they took this really good team. It's like, it doesn't really matter how close if you never actually beat them. And then you look at the squad. Yeah, because they're a mix of these different talents that are like young talents. Okay, I'll give it to Woxie. He has improved a lot over the last like five months. I think that Issa guy is mad overrated. I don't know what that guy's <laughs> doing, like trying to primary open games. He turns up maybe like one out of every four maps. It feels like just, up, just you know, freestyling it in my brain. I haven't looked at the stats. I think he really hasn't uh, graduated in terms of land play. And then obviously in terms of Woxic, I mean, I don't know what kind of culture clash you have when a Turkish guy interacts with a in-game leader from Ukraine who's himself like more of a fragger than an in-game leader and then a coach who's a very tactical in-game leading coach but was also from the Ukraine and who comes from CS 1.6 so I think you can obviously see that, that these aren't like ideal fits so to be fair to Hellraisers I'll give them a lot of props I think they're probably mildly overachieving and if you can make it on whatever budget they've got and get these players and have a chance probably did a pretty fucking good job the other team was which one? Gambit. Gambit. Do you want to, do you want to just chime in on the yeah, was, before we go to Gambit? The thing about Hellraisers I find is that they're still dead Fox. And I don't, <laughs> I don't really, <laughs> dead Fox for me, I don't know what he's, like he was He must just army. make the best fucking yeah. cup of tea in the world, doesn't he? He knows exactly how much milk to put in there. He brings out his own biscuits, he brings those with him, his ones that his mum cooked, like fucking hell. What, what do these just guys like, do? Just like AZ yeah. from the yeah, yeah. Smith's shocks. Yeah, Smith's for shocks. Oh, one man. thing I remember about Hellraiser is so when at the V4 Future Sports Festival, they had these videos where the players would say their roles, and I'm not joking. Yes. When the Hellraiser players would introduce themselves, four of them said that they were into fraggers, and I was just thinking, like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> oh. But I'm not really sure if they got control over the roles and all that stuff. With well, what did Dead Fox say? He was the entry frag. That's the Freiburg position. <laughs> to be fair to, to him, he does, he does seem to play like a supportive role within the team. It's just I think he's a dreadful player. Like I know mm-hmm. it doesn't make yeah. sense because, like, here's the thing: he actually has the best style of play for a bad player because. There's a lot of bad players out there just play badly in every game, but somehow he does bizarrely have like one in 10 maps that look really fucking good, actually. Like super flashy, get loads of kills, and you think, ah, this guy's pretty good. But then if you watch the other nine maps, that'll soon convince you otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, on the Gambit top, topic, uh, we talked about last week how they have Doja uh, GI. Now, I remember Maggie was saying how he doesn't look like the. The, the smartest guy in the world <laughs> which uh i don't know how i didn't i don't i didn't watch the games this, at star series but like i don't didn't miss much that wasn't good <laughs> no not at all he just hasn't changed his play style since no. 2012 yeah no part of the problem they have as well is right what's so infuriating about gambit is right obviously it doesn't matter if Zeus had stayed. They weren't going to do the shit that they did at the major and all the tournaments afterwards, you know. But they were a pretty good team. Like, I actually think if you look at how many teams fell away after that break, they could have been like a really legit top five team. I think that would have been their chance to be, you know, like a very solid team. And then maybe they could have won the odd tournament, but probably I don't think they would have beaten the phases in SKs of the world. Part of the issue is, though, after Zeus left... They still had, you know, a couple of tournaments that were looking pretty decent. Now, I have to say, that's actually where I, I crystallized that theory I have called the hangover effect, which is when you when an in-game leader leaves, 
well, it's not like you, it's like fucking copyrighted material all the way you were playing in the strats. You know, you are allowed to just keep doing the strats if they work for the next two months. So you will end up, I think, with a couple of months afterwards where you might still look half decent and people go, oh, did he really do anything? Which if you remember was what people did when Zeus went to Narva, they went to way too far the other way. Like he did nothing. So, but you add to that, that at the time they had some fabulous players in like Hobbit, Adren, for example. And those are players who seem very, very like autonomous in what they want to do themselves. They really know how to play their spots. They know how to play on the T side and make good decisions. So I think what they lived off in Gambit was a mixture of like the structure that Zeus had put in and whatever strats they had with two players who could do a lot themselves individually. And hence, you notice there are two players who tried to take on the in-game leader role. Same scenario again, I think, for Adren particularly. If I had to guess, from what I know uh, from behind the scenes, it sounds like he was the secondary caller in Gambit when they had Zeus. So he probably also thought, you know what? I don't need this Zeus guy. I can do it. But killed his own game called Zero Style. And I don't think he actually ever fully recovered when he came away from that. In fact, I think that's actually the saddest thing about Gambit is as they've all taken a turn being the in-game leader, I think it's actually cost them all. Like they've they've spent a couple of months ruining their own game style in a way. So not only when they then swapped, did they still not have a real in-game leader, but then they're a little bit diminished. Then you look at the actual in-game leading element I don't think any of them were particularly competent in-game leaders. I mean, you look at the style of play they had. Once you get after the first couple of months of Zeus being gone, they quickly degenerated into a team that on the T side was just going super slow, but not because they have any good reason, because they don't really know what they're doing. And they're looking for bizarre openings that like just won't present themselves if you've already thrown all your utility and the CTs know that you, you don't really have a, an execute. And so you just ended up with, I mean, it, it looks it's worse now because Dorsia, that was already his style of play to be like a super late round player, but he's only slightly exaggerating the style that they already had in Gambit when Hobbit was in game leader, when they had Adrenazine game leader, and it's just a terrible style on the T side. So for me, the only reason they even stay in games is because, yeah, you know what, they have a gang of veterans and they have a bunch of players who can play their spot on CT and who can absolutely win clutches sometimes. That'll help you, but they're a dreadful team in terms of if you just looked only at the terrorist side of the game and looked at the maps they're supposed to be good on, and they've got to be some of the weakest of all the top 10, top 15 teams in the world. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, uh, I don't know, Gambit, like, I think they have a lot of identity issues in terms of, like, players that they brought in Fitch for a little bit. We interviewed Fitch at GMAC Masters Malmo last year, and he was feeling really good. He had a great tournament. I was like, oh, we had a good player. And then Fitch, Fitch is benched, and then they bring in Cease, and then Cease is benched, and he's leaving. And then I just feel like they don't really like to stick with the five players. And then when Doja had that comment about, oh, yeah, the strats were too complex, I'm thinking, well, what do you want if you want to be a good team? Are you going to... Not have good strats. I just I was really confused about that. Well, that's also something that's a bit depressing, unfortunately, is that when you look at their squad, basically the only young player in terms of actual age and experience in the game is Hobbit. Like obviously he only really came around in late 2016 in terms of what we think of as the top tier counter strike. Mm-hmm. All the rest of them, even Mo, like Mo was playing in the Hellraiser's team in like 2015, you know, this guy's played a lot of time on LAN. And unfortunately, I know in that region, there is a factor you have to take into account that is never the case in the West. So for example, if you play for Cloud9 right now, if you really are not good anymore, or you just don't like counter strike anymore, you know what, feel free to quit because if you just go and get a decent job, you know what, you won't make quite as much as you do at the moment. But then again, is CS going to be around 10 years and you'll be still an active player? Probably not. So it's fine to transition to your career, take maybe a mild dip in terms of salary, 
start on your career path and go where you're going to go with your life. It's no exaggeration. If you come from some of these CIS countries, like for example, you can go look it up now. I think the average salary for a man in the Ukraine is $100 a month. So I don't give a fuck if it's flip side or anyone, I would play forever. Like if I, like if my way of like earning a crust for my family and actually a good living in that region is be like an okay counter-strike, I'd, I'd just do it as a job. I would turn up nine to five. And that has often been my theory as to what Markov, for example, does in the flip side team and why he's fine being a support player for so many years. So you look at Adren, Dosia, these players especially have played forever. Like for people who don't know how the CIS scene was in 1.6, they used to have lands every single month on like as in CIS teams would come usually to Ukraine and they would play on LAN almost every month for we're talking like half a decade. So people like Dosia and Adren have played uh, no joke, hundreds and hundreds of lands. And these are the ones you haven't even heard of. So they are so jaded. They are so burned out. It is, it is a job for them. So when they have a good team, yeah, I've no doubt they get motivated for a few months. They, they can, you know, things are going well. They're playing well individually. But I don't think you can keep that up forever. And in any sort of other job, you'd probably want to break at some point in time. But why would you take a break if you can make so much more than any job you can do? So they're kind of in a mad golden prison type scenario, like golden cage, as it were. So I don't really know that you can hope for much more. Like I'm, I'm sure for them, just getting into playoffs or having a chance is probably still fine. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving away from Star Series, uh, you didn't watch any of DreamHack, so I'll just mention a couple of things. The Space Soldiers won the event, which I found was really impressive. They played... <laughs> Rogue in the finals, which surprised everyone. Rogue knocked off Optic in the opening match. Space Soldiers, I think, lost the opening match and they had to beat Optic in the best of three to qualify for playoffs. In the finals, uh, Kallax was my my stand-up play. He was going off in that whole series. And Xantara is on the last map. was really good. I don't really get this. Like, I like this Space Soldiers team, but I like they have players to me that like, can opt, but they don't have like a true dedicated opper, just kind of like Liquid. And with all that the rumors and stuff going about how the org wanted to drop engine and then they all protested, it's kind of just a mess. But it's a good win for Space Soldiers, in my opinion. It gives them some confidence going forward. Uh, they're just a, like, here's the thing. I, I like to watch them as well. They're a fun team to watch, definitely. More mm -hmm. a best of one team, obviously, because their map pool is absolute ass. Yeah. And the fact that, like, one map being removed is basically just crippled any chances they have of a real deep run in any tournament shows that they weren't that good a team. Then you've got to add in the style of play they have. Like, either I'm not seeing something or... I don't think they really have like any kind of real tactical system. It seems like they just have a couple of star aimers. They give them a lot of freedom. They play pretty loose around them. If they frag out, they can win those maps. Sometimes win maps they're not actually that good at either, but they can win by virtue of having fragging. And even then, like those players are not going to frag out every year. So this LAN... Like, this is one that, this is a pretty weak field. Like, I know we mm -hmm. look at the names on Optic and we're like, hey, this could be potentially a really good team. So first, big LAN. Uh, second, I think. Is that right? Is that second? Yeah, yes, second. Yeah. So second, and also they've yet to show that, despite the quality of the names, that they are a top team, actually. They've been okay. So a little bit underwhelming in that sense, I guess. And yeah, unfortunately, as soon as you say they lost to Rogue, who's a bunch of washed up players and 
they then lost the maptum in the final. It's like, come on, man, how, how good is this going to be for like a tier three land? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was really interesting that Rogue, considering Rogue haven't done, haven't been good online, and then they came in this event. They won the qualifier, fair enough, but I mean, wasn't that many teams vying for it. And then they came in with Ricky. To be fair, he's a pretty good player, but I mean, you have Heat going to team, Vice. These aren't players that are like top tier teams. And then they were in the finals against Space Soldiers, and they had a chance that they actually should have won that, I think, in my opinion. But then that's pretty bad that I think in terms of like uh, storylines like Space Soldiers that barely went out against Rogue. It kind of happened the same thing at Westlake when they should have beaten Fnatic and Space Soldiers lost or they could have beaten Fnatic. And so they kind of, they aren't very, I don't know, I just don't think they have a very convincing team in terms of being like a good team. Whereas they lost to Optic 2, I think it was 2-1 or 2-0 in, they lost 2-0 at EPL on LAN. And then they beat them 2-1 here and it was pretty close. Optic actually could have won that. But once again, like Space Soldiers just eked it out, and it's just and the semifinal run wasn't great. They beat Heroic 2-0, but Heroic have a standing Chroman who's leaving, and they have Freiburg. I said it's not a good team, and then they beat Rogue 2-1. So, in terms of events, it really wasn't that great to watch. I guess it had some technical issues as well, but I don't understand. I mean, for Space Soldiers, obviously it's a good sign. I mean, they get paid for once, but I mean, uh, I don't really see much hope for Space Soldiers going forward because they just don't have a good team in terms of compared to other teams. Like there's nothing about the team. They say, oh, they have a sick Inferno, or oh, they have a sick Dust too. They really aren't that great of a team. Yeah, there's a lot of negatives, unfortunately, to the squad. You even have to add in, I mean, based on some of the things I've seen, and this corroborates with what people have said behind the scenes, it sounds like the salary they get and the conditions are pretty mm-hmm. fucking bad compared to any team comparable, you know? So right. I definitely have sympathy for them in that sense then obviously there's the whole political situation which means they will get declined visas and they will have times that it's not possible to even go to a tournament you might qualify for so that's going to be rough as well and then i think the final detail that probably a lot of people don't think about is since major speaks french he obviously was i mean i didn't even know he was from turkey i, I just knew him from the french <laughs> 1.16 mm-hmm. at any moment in time he could get called up to come to a top French team, and then then what are you going to have? You're just going to be back to just having some, you know, some good individual players, but not a team really. Mm-hmm. Oh man, French scene. Uh, we had Anders last week. He said just stay out of the French scene and at all, all costs, practically, because I mean the French scene's a mess. But we do see this new G2 lineup. Now they had Smithson, and a lot of people were asking. One of the questions posed to us was, "How do you feel G2 will do at ECS?" And that's in a couple of days. We wrote a preview about it. How do you think that G2 with Smiths and Shocks, even though they have a little practice, do you think they'll be a good team at G2, at uh, ECS? Um, the problem with that LAN is, as far as I remember, like since Phase is, I mean, they're taking Coleman, right? Isn't isn't that who they're taking? Phase, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so FaZe doesn't have their proper lineup. Astralis is just too good for everyone at the moment. Uh, who's the other European Ooh, team there? Fnatic. Fnatic? And is it confirmed that they use Exist? I don't know if that's actually... I'm pretty yeah, sure, so, yeah. Because I'd heard some rumour that they were going to have to use a standing, but if they take Exist, okay, I think that actually makes them a bit weaker. Uh, NA teams, okay, there's Liquid, NRG... Cloud nine. Luminosity and yeah. Cloud nine. Yeah. So this isn't that sick a field, really, actually. There's a bunch of factors there that you could see. I don't think it'd be ridiculous for them to finish top four at that tournament. It's doable. The issue for me is, like, for I, I, this is a team where 
I feel like you need to give them that full three or four lands before you'll know if they're going to be really good. Because the first premise that you're going on is you want to have a fabulous tactical team because that's why you've got existence. That's why, presumably, you're letting Smiths play in the team. And it's also, I think, actually one of the reasons why they allowed Body to be the fifth player because they think that he's kind of paid his dues and he's done some of the tough spots. And with Smiths there, he's not going to have to be like a pure support. So... They're banking on having like a really solid tactical foundation. And then, yeah, the two massive guns of Kenny S and Shocks. So the issue is, okay, Kenny S and Shocks could definitely do a lot for you in terms of fragging. But if you go for that tactical style, like the, the one of the real issues here is existence isn't someone who, like a, a Carrigan who just picks up a new lineup and tomorrow they're just doing amazing shit, you know. He's got to have time to work on his maps, to work on the system. So I think it's unrealistic to expect big things. But just the fact that the tournament itself has got stand-ins and some of the weaker teams, I think it is plausible that they just shock the world. No one's seen this team play before and they could have a top four. But I don't think they're going to be winning the tournament. Yeah, one factor as well is that they're in a pretty easy group like they got face nrt and luminosity like luminosity yes, is a free of a winner well, in that case they probably yeah. should make top four i guess yeah lds a free of a winner so you're gonna get and then you pretty much just have to beat nrg so that should be pretty doable but like another factor as well is like both shock smith and existence like they've not played competitively for like at least a few months and in smith's case like a year so <laughs> He's probably well, not going to be that good straight away. I will say this. Like, first of all, Shocks is, he's up there with Forrest as like one of these like absurdly talented people who just doesn't need to play the game and they can just do all the shit they want to do. So I, I don't really worry about him. Uh, despite not being in a team, Existence is one of those players who just plays every single day of his life. Even when he was in fucking LDLC, he was still putting in all the practice and streaming. And so like, I, I assume he'll be at a decent level. I think Smith is the obvious one that, I mean, it's almost certain he shouldn't be at that greater level, and especially because he hasn't played competitive Counter-Strike in a pretty long time now. So I don't even know necessarily where he's going to fit in the mix of that. And then you add in, he's a fucking Mardi cunt, and he's, he's, he's easily an emotional <laughs> individual who could, I could see complaining, oh, it's my first landback, I am not quite keeping the level, like, you know. So, yeah, I could definitely see there being some problems there. But then again, it's the first line. I don't think they'll be expected to do much from the org. I think they'll just, you, you, the first line, you just kind of throw it at the wall and see what happens. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, I don't, do you think G2 would have been better without Smiths and say something like Apex or MBK? Or do you think that Shocks would be too unhappy and it wouldn't work well? Well, that's the fact that you notice no one else bothers thinking about you. What's <laughs> hilarious is there's been a lot of people in the history of Counter-Strike where their main criticism of me and Lurpus most famously is like, don't you understand? Counter-Strike's a team game and it's about team personalities and, you know, how people play with each other. And then they go ahead and just say stuff like, remove Sticko, include all the aim stars in a mouse. <laughs> also, why are you putting Smiths in a team? Oh, you mean that player that Shocks has famously needed to play with because when he loses motivation and doesn't like his teammates, he just stops playing the game. No, let's just ignore all that and say, sorry, Shocks, today you're a fucking robot, mate, and you don't do any of the things you've done your entire career where you leave teams after six months. No, apparently now today you're just going to play fine with this, yes, clear upgrade as a player, but who you don't like as a person or want to play with and have had arguments with so on that level yeah I, i'm with you on as much as the theory is which do you want do you want the upgrade as a player or do you want probably to keep shocks happy who then potentially could become 
no joke, the best player in the world. So I kind of see why they went with the Smiths one. I think it works in both regards. He keeps Shocks happy. He's played with all of them. And crucially, he's been existence's right-hand man for a lot of his career. I mean, I know for CSGO fans, they won't think so because they only remember after the first shuffle, but he had a long tenure with existence. So... I, I can see why they went for the gamble there. For me, the gamble was body, actually, because I actually think you want one of Smith's or body. I don't really see why they want both. I would have personally, instead of, I, I think instead of the body spot, I think you can go many directions. Yeah, you can have NBK would be a great pick. Apex could do a lot. RPK is pretty good. Obviously, has his own history with them. If you really want to go nuts, you could go for Scream. That's probably not advisable in terms of, he can seemingly only play one style of play. So, yeah, I do think that those <laughs> players would have been upgrades, but there are pretty good sort of political reasons as to why you wouldn't do it. And actually the benefit of having Smiths to keep Shocks happy is probably an underrated factor, to be fair. All right, so uh, to touch on another lineup that made roster changes, uh, NIP have added Lecro to replace Draken in a move that kind of surprised a lot of people. And I would kind of say that it surprised me as well, because like, even though Draken has been in quite bad form lately, I will say that he was still one of those players where when Nick needed a win, he could like be the X Factor that would come out and just play out of his mind and get those crazy kills to give them a win. So in that sense, it's kind of a weird move. But then on the other hand, you don't really want Draken as your kind of main star player because he isn't very reliable. But then again, neither is Lecro, so I don't really know if this. Really I mean, I will say anything, so what do you think I am about actually it? really biased against uh, Draken. Like, I don't ever think he was that good a player. And so part of the issue is I think if you're going to have him in a team, he probably does have to be one of the star players. It didn't really look like... like I, I think Nip might have given him a little bit of a chance like that when they first got him in the lineup. But I think they quickly went away from that. And I think, unfortunately, in their team, I don't really buy the idea that Get Right and Forrest have actually accepted that we're going to be like not the focal point of the offense. So I think he was always the odd man out in terms of all the last two or three lineups they've had. It always felt like it was the other four and they were trying to do whatever threat or Peter told them. And then you just had Draken over here. And part of the reason why he was somewhat a missing piece, as in he wasn't there, is that unfortunately that style of play is not at all consistent. And I actually, one of the reasons I'm biased against him is I despise those style of orpers, especially when they're primary orpers. Like it's one thing, like, okay, this is one of the reasons why back in the day, I actually really disliked Naf as a player when in like the early optic days and before is because he would try to orp way too much when he just wasn't good enough consistency wise to be a primary orper. Now, funnily enough, not only did he improve as an orper, but now he only does it as a hybrid anyway. He doesn't do it on all the maps and all the sides. So if anything, he sort of like perfected that style. What I hate is when you have that primary opera who's like, so we'll go through currently, it's Draken and Mertz are the most ridiculous examples of this. In the old Nico sports, it was Chris J. What you do is you have a player who has like super fast flick style of play and just repeats a corner 50 times, as opposed to the traditional style of primary opera is you just hold the angle on the corner. You try to hit your first shot then you decide tactically whether you repeat into the angle or you just hit your first shot and you can kill the next guy anyway. That's a, a style you can build a team around. You can have that guy as your best player. You can drop that guy and AWP around knowing he'll get a kill. You can save an AWP knowing it'll be more valuable to have him than a, a force spy. With someone like Draken, I don't think, or, or Mertz or Chris J in the old days, I don't think it's even actually 
economically viable to keep fucking saving ops for them. I think you're wasting your time when you do that. I think sometimes you'd be better <laughs> off not doing that. And in fact, actually, I think you punish your own economy more. So I think these are players who either should accept NAF style that I'm a hybrid opera and I can do it sometimes, or they just can't be on a top team. And so for Nip, he could just about make it because Nip wasn't a top team. I think that was probably what saved his ass. But if they have aspirations to be a top five team in the world, they're probably not going to do it with Drake. And I think that's pretty reasonable to assume. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Rez put out did an interview where he said they're trying to convert Draken into a supportive static. It's actually like boggling. Mind boggling. Like, obviously, that's not his style. So I can see where they're like, How bad they are at hitting what are their the staple shots of Hoppers. So I watched this a whole bunch. I know everyone saw North have a good run and Mertz had some good games. So everyone's going to think, what are you talking about? Go and watch <laughs> his games when he's on the CT side as an Hopper. When he holds a tight angle on a wall, people can literally, I'm not joking, they can walk into his crosshair and he'll miss. Like, he'll, like, flick off them and shoot the edge of the wall. Like, this is mind-boggling shit because that is actually the staple shot of the opera. You want to hit that 80% of the time, and then, you know what, if you happen to have a flick shot as well, well, congrats, welcome to the club, you're going to be one of the best players in the world. If you put, so, uh, the best example everyone will always give is Device, obviously, because he's not supposed to be a primary opera. He's supposed to be a hybrid opera because of his team, he's forced to be the primary opera. Now, this guy will hit that shot 80% of the time, do it all day long. He'll never miss that simple shot shot now he might not have as good a flick as a drake and orbits debatable but yeah I'd, you know, I'd give him that but the problem is the flick's kind of the bonus that's not really what gets you by as an opera so i don't think it's a coincidence that when i think of most of the great rounds that like mertz has had it's where he's like aggro pushing on a corner and he like flicks the first two people and then one person's behind him he has to 180 him then i think of all the rounds i've seen drake can have a good game first of all half of them is where like he's in like a 2v5 and he's just like flicking onto each person and it's the same scenario this this isn't opening really this is like using an op to kill people it's not it's not opening in terms of what you use the weapon for in the game Yes, I would put both of those. I think Nifty, here's the thing. I actually like him as a person, so people might think this is rough. Right, I think he's going to be the most overrated player in Cash Track at the moment. Extent, extent? Like, like Nifty like my times... joke with him would be, yeah. he's only good at one game, and you're going to be like, what, Cash Track uh -huh. Global Offensive? No, uh, Inferno versus Mouse Box, wasn't it? Oh, 100%. Listen, that game was nuts, and fair play to him. That's what I mean. <laughs> a solid few months. It got 50 kills, though. Right? The first half, but, you really I mean, his that problem game was especially like, how did it get to 50? And like, I was like, what? It's understandable why he's the in-game like, leader. Wow. I don't think, like, everyone who's oh, saying, yeah. get in-game leader and make him your opera, like, mate, that will be the death knell of that <laughs> team. Like, he, uh -huh. if anything, he's doing a pretty good job. I mean, you notice in every interview, he gives props to Fallen. Yeah, he's trying to do Fallen-type shit. And in fact, his game, when you consider it's all about flick shots, it somewhat can mirror Fallen. It's obviously not as good as Fallen in either respect, but I think, if anything, he's playing the right role for himself. But yeah, as, a, as an AWP, he shouldn't be on anyone's top 10 AWP list. Mm -hmm. Yes. For sure. I mean, I guess maybe Anna, you could say... That is cute, though, that you, you said Hayden, because hoppers, the thing is, I don't actually consider him a professional you know, player. That's, that's just like a professional player. Yes, so. I mean, you have to be on a team, you have yeah, to be in matches. Issue, but uh, you know. one, one opera from NA has been in free agency yes. recently, that'd be JDM. Good old days. So now, old days. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You know, I mean, all right. Yes. Before a professional player, I guess to say, I mean, yeah. 
together. I always forget about Henny and Lucas because a lot of times people say, "Oh, Brazilian scene." I'm like, "Oh, what about this person?" Like, well, actually, I Henny. I'm like, well, "Who's Henny?" Like, oh, that's probably the, the tragedy no one outside of Brazil talks about. Is that because for whatever reason, Henny and Lucas are like some package deal? They have to play together. They're going to play the things I've been told. People actually in the past thought that Lucas won should have mm-hmm. been sort of the player who was taking Taco's spot and was being the supportive element of SK. But, I mean, you're not going to hire any just to get him out. It's not exactly the best package deal, right. is it? Yes. No, not at all. Unfortunately, because, I mean, Henny's a... He's an all right offer, but it's just like the you can't have that mindset of personality on a team like SK because they're more, I guess, cerebral in a way, as cerebral as Brazilian sounders I can get. But um, you, Lucas would be a good fit, I guess, for SK, especially now with Bolt or whoever you replace, Dewey. But uh, unfortunately, I guess Henny's kind of a kind of a trade off, bad trade off you can't really have. But uh, JDM recently has been now he's a free agent. He wants to come back to CS. He's been grinding, streaming every night. He's been playing FPL. He's getting tilting and raging, of course, as usual. How, do you think that a team like uh, Cloud9 will put him on? Or, or a team like maybe... I can't know, name any other distinct NA teams that might take uh, JDM besides Cloud9, but do you think he'll get a shot, either NA or maybe even abroad? Or do you think his time's up? I do think he can get a shot, especially because... Like a detail I myself didn't know because I don't know every team, you know, I'm not someone who just talks to tons of people. A lot of the things I say actually, you know, like some of them are based on when I know players that I've been saying for. Some of them are just, I read between the lines and use my own experience, you know, speculation, hopefully informed speculation. So in his particular case though, I actually think, first of all, it's almost certain he'll get mm-hmm. on the team. He's still got a big name. I actually think he's still a pretty decent player. He's definitely not a top player. He's not a star as he looked like he might one day be, but he's a good player. And also what I recently found out right. was, I am absolutely astonished by how much teams like Splice and RG actually make in salary. Like, put it this way, these teams make more than most sports. So, <laughs> so as a result, wow. Wow. if there's that sort of money in NA in any context, for sure, there's a team that might not even be that oh. good that could pick this guy up and give him a living wage. So I do think his problem is he's pretty old compared to the rest of the NA scene. So it's mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you kind of know what you're buying if you get him. He's not going to have some massive growth. I do think if you put him with the right team, though, he could be a good player. Definitely better than he was in Liquid. I think he was definitely the odd man out there. And, I, and for people who don't know, because I don't know how much mm-hmm. of this is public, but... He was basically as close to a done deal joining Cloud9 when they got FNS. But something happened, and for whatever reason, they decided to go back to Skadoodle, because I guess he's just, I don't know, he whipped out the fucking pendulum, and he was, you will bring me back to the team. You know, I don't, don't know what this guy does again. You know, just magician in it, so... Whatever he oh, did, he, he's back in the team. And, and unfortunately, at the time, because yeah. of JDM's mildly underwhelming period in Liquid, I think people still give him a bit of short shrift. Like, you know, the stats didn't look good, but pretty much got what series they played SK, and he was an integral part of how they were able mm-hmm. to win the game, partly because he actually could hit that simple op shot that you want from someone if you're going to have him be a part of your team. So I think, unfortunately, people, if you just look at raw numbers, said, ah, you know, Skadoodle, JDM, same thing, right? Whereas actually... Like from what I know, JDM plays the game more. I think he has a better attitude. He's actually more vocal. And I even think if you put him in a team where he's not mm-hmm. forced into kind of being like one of the lesser elements, he probably would have a higher confidence level than Skadoodle. Because obviously that's like the part of the Skadoodle equation that's 
beyond tiresome. It's like, oh, but if he was to get an engaged or understudy him and he got his motivation back, it's like, fucking hell, what more do you want? Like, that's that check. You have to do those things yourself. You know, you, but why, why is everyone reaching out to try and save this guy's life? Right. Yeah, I talk to no. a lot of Cloud9 fans on the daily, and it's it's annoying. They say, oh, Skadoodle's good still. Look, when he came back, when he was inactive, and then he came back, and he had two good weeks of online, and I'm like, it's online, and then he went back to being a bot. And they always say, well, Skadoodle can be good again. He's better than everybody else. And I'm like, that's not really necessarily true. It's all different IGL styles, but I mean, I don't understand why uh, you go with Skadoodle over JDM, but of course, that's you know, MA politics, but... You know, it's just uh, it's just just an issue with NA. A lot of times, you let these players that get a lot of play time, and they either don't have a good play style in terms of they don't like flash before they peek a corner. They do a lot of stuff that gets them killed early in rounds. Even Team Liquid players do this, like Twist. Sometimes will do this, and of course, Twist is a young player, but a lot of times, even more experienced players than NA will do a lot of stuff that gets them killed early in rounds, and then they put them into like five v fours or like like five v threes, and then. Loses them games. I don't understand why. Play like JDM is pretty experienced. Unfortunately, pretty good, like the NA scene is like doesn't get to some spot, degree ruined you know, by politics, especially because a lot of the teams, like they seem to just like have one or two players who are just way too in the ear of the owner, and so sadly you're just living on the whims of like people. I mean, admittedly, some of them aren't mm-hmm. teenagers, but mm-hmm. they, a lot of them have like the personality of a teenager, basically. So you know, whatever, however they wake up that morning, you can have some pretty wacky feedback going to the owner who then thinks that's like real analysis and then kicks people or signs people based on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of that, it looks like Immortals have made the, the right is, move in signing a general manager, which no other team really Winston, has for some reason. I actually ask him about that. And unfortunately, it sounds like that, like basically, so if you hear general manager and you know American sports, you think, yeah, like it's the guy who does the trades and decides who's on the team. Apparently he means general manager in like the more literal sense of like, he's just going to be some sort of like a manager or like related to business or something. And I think as far as I know, he's not actually going to literally get to dictate the team and like, you know, make a dynasty out of immortals or whatever, sadly, because I, yeah, I agree. If that had been the case, that would be a very interesting prospect. Also probably doesn't help mm-hmm. that you've got Stu 2K signed up for a few years and that's not exactly going that well. So they've got, they've got their own issues to deal with there. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. It's not a great one, is it? Right, that's the part that people don't realize. Right I didn't know it myself, actually. In fact, I, yeah. when I first saw the move again, <laughs> just trying to speculate into the vacuum with like informed analysis i thought to myself right this makes sense actually what's happened is you couldn't get simple you couldn't get flamey so you've said right we've got three or four months till our contracts are up let's give stewie 2k three or four months sort of trial period if it doesn't work out don't have to sign them when we go to immortals anyway well what i was wrong about is he's contracted to walls so <laughs> stewie 2k is there when you get there he's like the furniture when you arrive like mm-hmm. he's just there mate <laughs> <laughs> oh that's disgusting i mean it's just an issue i think with uh esports like none of these uh like these because contracts really open like whereas baseball and yes. any other like american sport you know what the details are practically or how much money it is and it's transparent so fans can't yes. really be too mad to understand what the deals are so they can say oh you dropped this player because he's dead weight or he trade him here but in esports it's it's a, it's like oh well we okay. think he's here i think he's there you don't know who owns the contract and it's a big issue i think yes. in terms of like i guess 
the longevity of like you know a lot of these fans get mad and they'll say well why aren't you dropping stewie 2k why aren't you dropping this person because they had two bad lands and it's like well you see you don't yeah, understand you the whole about thing it's behind even the worse scenes but... the 2k example well, because actually it throws them under the bus like now everyone's going to judge him like he's just any other player right and they're going to say like if you keep him what you really think this is working or they're going to say like oh why is he not playing well i mean when you consider he's one of the highest uh buyouts of all time and that he's got a big contract and obviously, yeah. you know, you hope when you make these contracts, you hope for the best. You hope he plays amazing and he integrates in the team. So, yeah, you're giving him great salary, all the rest of it. In this scenario, since you don't know that, you're going to you're gonna have a type of pressure that probably is a bit unfair, actually, because in this scenario, he logically should be the hardest asset to move from your team because especially when he's not at peak level at the moment, which isn't all his fault, certainly. How are you going to get value? Like, you, what, you're going to pay a massive buyout and then just sell him for, what, half as much to someone else? Because if, put it this way, if I'm Cloud9 and you say, do you want to do get back? Yeah, sure, for half the money. Like, you know, why would, I, why would I give you all the money back? I, I've got that money. Like, I'd trick right. you all with that. Yeah, and now you also got this whole situation where apparently SK Gaming are having issues with giving the players the boot camp spots and all that stuff. So you, yes, because they're basically on Immortals already. But that's like a whole different the conflict of interest now. But. It's funny, isn't that how the team that complain the most on Twitter always seem to leave their orgs in sort of an acrimonious set of circumstances. <laughs> and yet, you know what? It's still never their fault. It turns out that literally everyone is just abusing the fact that apparently they're Brazilian. Apparently that's like a key factor. I didn't, I didn't know myself, but we're apparently we're all in this massive conspiracy. It's sort of like the Illuminati. And our only rule is that at all costs, we have to fuck over everyone who's Brazilian. That's, that's the only rule. It's only a rule, for sure. But um, so we had some questions from some of the fans on Twitter, et cetera, about they want to give to you. So we had a few we picked out. I'm just going to ask you guys now at the, uh, okay. the podcast. All right. So the first one was from one of our own writers, actually, uh, God Pancakes. He says, Thorne, what advice would you give someone who is trying to get into esports journalism? Uh, I think it's probably two pieces of advice that make sense because the real issue is you can't really give anyone like a very concrete tip because everyone's skill set's going to be different and what they like's different, you know? So I don't really know that there's like a basic playbook. So these are more like two broad strategy things. So number one would be you don't get into it in as much as like, if you're someone where already you're always thinking about the game and you're always having ideas, and even if you haven't done the content yet, which is not a great sign, you're always thinking of stuff that you could do and you almost feel like, I need to do this, that's probably the best place to come from. If you just sat back and you go, you know what, I'd like to be involved in esports and uh, I'm not going to be a player, am I? I probably couldn't get a job as a coach because no one knows me. I could maybe be a journalist. I mean, I don't mind reading interviews. Could I do one? Like, if you're that guy, I'd probably just quit now, mate, because like, like there's a there's a famous saying that says like the master has failed more times than the beginner has tried and it's like if you knew mm -hmm. how many pieces of content you have to do to get really good and to get to like a level where you're above even other people who are decent and you can get good money and then to get to the level where you're years and years into the game and you could actually maybe make a career you know if you haven't kind of got something 
impelling you forwards there. I don't know that you'll make it through the hard times. You probably just bail after six months and then you'll have just wasted a few months of your life trying something that you didn't end up liking. And then the other factor would be if you are someone who feels like you want to do it and there's like a, a, a real serious thing, it's not just that you like the idea of it. You, you, know, you know that when you do these things, it's fun and satisfying. I would just say you need to find your own voice. And so to do that, don't just go, well, I like this guy's style. Can I do it a bit like that? It's definitely good to emulate people to learn their skill set. But ideally, the secret should be you can do the piece that only you can do as well as you can do it. And so, you know what? People are absolutely free to argue all day long about who the best writer is or who the best video maker is or who the best analyst is. But i tell you what, no one can make a Thorin video like I can. No one can make a Thorin <laughs> article like I can. And no one can do Thorin banter on the desk like I can. So whether or not it's the best is irrelevant. I've just carved right. out my own niche. And so if you happen to be lucky enough that your niche also has some overlap with what people like, then you might be able to make a career out of it. But I would say rests on the fact that if you really just like doing it, you'll, you'll be cool even if you don't make a massive splash. I had a number of years where I made below minimum wage and was grinding away in a bedroom. But you know, you know what? I don't look back on them like, what was I doing in my life? What would have happened? Like I was, I was having a vaguely good time. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I, for a personal anecdote, I'd say to my writers or whatever, people ask me the same similar question. I'll say, you know, I guess along similar things, like if you don't actually enjoy it, you're never going to get far. And people want to enjoy your content because there's no real like authentic- authenticity there. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, it's been a year. I haven't gained any traction. My, I don't get enough views. And this is like, well, you have to, there's a lot there's a lot of factors that go into that, whether it's quality yes. of writing and stuff like that. So you can't just said, you can't just say like, you know, well, I haven't done very well. Where the results sometimes takes longer, shorter, depending on what scene you're in. So there's a lot of factors involved there. So I guess for people that maybe want to get into it, you have to really like dig into it and just go for the long haul. And, you know, like you said, not everyone. Like, I'll give you an work. example. So a big part of doing, I mean, not all journalism, but my, my type of journalism, because I came up actually writing like historical articles, hence the moniker, was you have to do a lot of research and you have to like know every result and you have to know every aspect and you have to find all these pieces of trivia just so that when you write the story, you don't miss some key aspect that ended up like foreshadowing something or leading to something else. And so to do that <clears throat> meant that I used to have to put in hours of research that were in no way compensated, even though I worked full-time at the time, by the actual amount of money that that one piece could generate. It just wasn't even close to it. So in terms of an actual like job, it was massively inefficient. But what happened was I actually really enjoyed doing that research. And so the story I'll give you here is, obviously I still do it to this day, but because I enjoy doing that research so much, I kind of got my own style of how to do it. So you get up all, I mean, nowadays you can use all these Wikipedias. We didn't used to have them back in the day. So I had to use some memories, some searching on websites, but we have all these wikis now. So I would just get like, you know, I'd get an energy drink. I'd put some, like a drum and bass mix on. That's just going to be like 80 minutes of continuous music. I'd just go through a, a few hours of research. Well, I find now that when I get into a sport that I've not followed that often, so actually a sport I got into fairly recently was like the last couple of years, I started watching the NFL because I realized mm-hmm. it's actually a pretty time efficient sport because it's best of one. And, you know, the, even the playoffs are best of one and you don't have as many games and you can also skip when they play like the dog shit team in their division. So it's a pretty time efficient sport as opposed to, you know, like hockey, which is like, I have a hard time keeping up with that in the regular season. It's too many games. Well, when I started getting into it, 
I must have spent, no joke, probably over 100 hours just going through all the Wikipedias for and all the like pro football reference and looking at old games and stuff. Now, I'm never going to actually make a single dollar doing that. In fact, I'm not even that massive an NFL fan, you know, but because I actually do legitimately enjoy that aspect of my job, I mm. even enjoy doing that sort of... Uh, in a way, you're wasting my time because it's not wasting time to me. So, yeah, if it's if it feels like wasting time to you, I mean, if you can make it, props, you're a legend, but I don't know how you're going to do it because I'm cheating. Like, it's like there's a great Kobe Bryant story he gave where he said that for a lot of people, studying film, practicing, that's like having to eat your vegetables. You know, you don't want to do it, but you have to. He said his his scenario was like he enjoys the vegetables. Oh, okay. That's that makes like sense. cheating in a way, you know. You, you've got the, the hack to the game. <laughs> Right. Uh, so another question we had was from Alan Links. He's a coach in the UK. Uh, he says, in terms of peak level play, of which he's consistently showing right now, where does Simple stack up for you against other esports greats, including Flash, Faker, Cypher, Forest, etc.? Yeah, the tough part about this is that when you actually judge how great a player is, it should be on factors like what is their daily performance level like? What are they like in all types of matches? And so that definitely includes how good are you in majors? How good are you in the finals of tournaments? How good are you in the final of majors? You know, these are all steps on the competitive ladder. The problem is, the reason I've set it up like this is too many people, it's a problem of human beings. When you want an answer, the quickest way to cheat and get an answer is remove as many factors as possible. In fact, get down to one factor and then just say, right, well, there we go. I've solved it, right? Look, I've got a number here. This guy has seven. People do this all the time in the NBA. Why do you not, why is Michael Jordan the best player ever? Well, he has six rings and the other player doesn't you know like that's it's a it's it's a terrible argument but it's a way to reduce it down to a very simple factor and say six is bigger than five so this player is better now if you get a little bit more nuanced you might say well how did the person play in the most important game you know what that's another good factor to consider but my problem is too many people then say right we'll just take that factor so for example one of the reasons why i actually thought people were always very unfair to Peyton Manning is if you just look at every single game he ever played, this guy's one of the best players to ever play any sport. But you know what? Yeah, in a lot of playoff scenarios, he did have a dip in his form. That doesn't erase how amazing he was in the regular season. And mm -hmm. meanwhile, there are some players are fantastic in playoff scenarios who didn't have the body work in the regular season. So what I'm getting at here is Simple has passed almost every test. Like I think if you add last year, where I think people actually underrated his level, I thought he was a lot better than some of the players who topped some of the lists last year rain fallen i think he was still phenomenal last year yes he's gone to a higher level end of last year to this year so in terms of like day-to-day -day level it's unbelievable i think he already might be the best player ever especially if you add then the years before which now seem like a prelude to it which is what was ridiculous carrying team liquid when he was on flip side then when he got obviously to the beginning of navi so a fabulous fabulous player his problem is if you want to talk about the best player ever all the other best players have that amazing level. Now, admittedly, in CS, they might not have as high a level as Simple does. Sure, you've got the Neos of the world. They, they could certainly make an argument for that with the longevity. I think in CSGO, he's probably had the highest long, like super high level streak already. His problem is all the other people on the list, Flash, Faker, Neo, they did all get to major finals. They did all win majors. They did, now, yes, they had different team circumstances. We can argue that part of it. That would be a very valid argument. But the problem is they kind of have the complete package. And for Simple, he kind of needs to 
I don't, he didn't necessarily have to win a major if he's so exceptional, but his team is never good enough. We'll give him a break maybe. But I do feel like you probably have to round out the resume. You probably need to get to a final and play amazing and lose like a guardian did. You probably need to win, maybe win a major or plenty more trophies. And so as much as there are extenuating circumstances, there aren't really when you're talking about like the five best people to ever play a computer game ever, you know, some mm-hmm. of those people are so exceptional. So for people who haven't seen Flash or Cypher and Quake, etc., or Faker in League of Legends, these aren't just like, oh, he was the best player or he was the best player this year. These are people where it's like, they like transcend the game. That's why they can actually be compared against each other. They're not just the best League of Legends player. They're like the best League of Legends player and you can, you can spend 10 hours arguing who's number two. It doesn't matter. They're not close to who this person was, you know? Right, for sure. So would you compare, say, someone like, someone like say, NBA like Charles Barkley, someone who was really good but never really won anything per se, or like... Maybe a better comparison if they make an NBA comparison? Well, the problem is in this particular scenario, like, first of all, that's a tough one because I actually mm-hmm. uh, rate Charles Barkley a lot higher than most other people do. Right. So I think in that sense, too many people focus on the part that, yeah, he didn't win anything. Whereas they don't realize, like there was a few years in the late 80s, early 90s, where it was largely he didn't have the right general manager and didn't have the right team, basically. So he just couldn't have won. Like the best he could have done was basically like an Eastern Conference final. So... In that sense, I would say simple is pretty comparable because actually there was a time when Charles Barkley was absurd as an offensive player. So in Mm -hmm. that sense, yeah, there's the comparison. But the tough part about it is in most sports I've seen, if you're as good as like simple as now, you just sort of eventually are going to find your way to a team that's good enough that you can win. So you probably will win in the end. Like even mm-hmm. the examples we gave before, like I gave Peyton money. We did win some Super Bowls. It's not right. like he won. So it, that's why it's tough because esports is kind of in a weird scenario. Like think about it for this example. Imagine if you had all different languages in the NFL and each division was like a different region. And so you know what? You can't just go from AFC North or whatever to someone in the in the NFC in a different division because, you know, they just speak a different language, they have a different culture. Maybe they can't even buy you. That would radically change a lot of people's careers. You know, you'd have a lot of amazing players who never won the Super Bowl. And so, unfortunately... Simple probably needs to be on a CIS team. I mean, I already had it as to his accolades, what a great player he was that he did all that stuff with Team Liquid. I think that's unbelievable stuff to do, but you're probably going to have to live in a scenario where, if you think about how we talked about Hellraisers, Gambit, the, the CIS scene at the moment has a lot of its talent locked down or they just can't kind of like shuffle to make the lineups that could be good. Because if you take all the CIS teams now and you do the right shuffle, I think you could have two teams that would be top five in the world. They have some amazing talent, but they're really underutilizing at the moment. So for simple, in terms of everyday level, you know what, he's already maybe the best player ever, but you kind of need to add the accomplishments as well because everyone else who's the greatest kind of has both. It's also a bit ridiculous that, I mean, Simple probably has at least a few more years left at the top, at the very least, and we're already comparing him. Oh, is it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair, on, on the Cypher and Flash ones, they were very, very young champions, so they could also be compared in that sense. But yeah, the crazy thing about Simple is, first of all, his esports is still in full sway, so he's not going to get robbed of any years. And as I said, at the time, we were already watching him in Flipside and Team Liquid, like, holy shit, how good is this guy? We didn't even know. That was like him warming up. I wasn't even in that peak level. So yeah, what's nuts about him is, unlike a lot of the other all-time great players, 
he not only could keep doing this for a few more years, he could actually get better. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it's possible because I've already seen him hone his style over the last like sort of six to nine months and get a bit more efficient in that sense, not be kind of so risky unnecessarily. So who knows? Maybe there's another level we don't even know about. And maybe that alone makes him win. And in fact, here's the part that's cool about where he is right now. If he did either play at this level and win majors in Navi or go to another level and win with this Navi, I think he already sews it up right there. He doesn't even need as many majors as some of the other guys because, you know what, they had some fucking unreal teammates. Yeah, for sure. So another question we got is uh, from Liet Kynes. He says... Reference if the to new... Dune there. Respect. <laughs> I, that, that reference flew over my head. But uh, if the new G2 lineup works out, presumably using a traditional tactical style led by existence, do you see more teams shifting back towards this kind of style? Which current teams do you think would be a good fit slash profit? Well, to me, the dumbest thing about when people get these trends of like, ah, oh, this is the way you have to play now is like, if that were true, then let's just abandon CSGO because it's a shit game if one style wins out overwhelmingly. Like most of the teams that played the loose style in history stacked their teams with fucking Hall of Famers, like from positions one, two, three, you know, all the way down the list basically. And were like absurdly good. And then usually had to have like the perfect in-game leader for them. So it's not just that you got a good in-game leader. If you have Flusher and Olaf Meister and Crims, you also have to have products because he's the mid-round master who does that style and is very gives them a lot of freedom to do what they want to do. You know, yet it's like they had all the factors at once. What would show that a loose style is the best style is if, Space Soldiers was the best team in the world or fucking Hellraisers was rocking all the events and winning the lines. They aren't because the style doesn't elevate the players. If anything, the players elevate the style. Now, if you look at a tactical style, the reason why people like some of the uh, MSL lineups of the past have been very good, even though they didn't always have the best players or even one of the best players, is because actually I think the style ele elevated the team, elevated the players and made them more than they would be otherwise, which is the, the benefit of tactics because you can create a two-on-one scenario and unless it's simple, it doesn't matter who the one person is, he's going to die. He's going to either get traded or killed outright. So that's why that style will always be viable. But just as with the loose style, you could have the right in-game leader and the right players, you've got to have it for the tactical style. So Personally, I think the tactical style was always viable. It's just that Counter-Strike's a bit like stuff like the NBA. It's a copycat league. People just do whatever they think the top team's doing. So if the top team is Fnatic, or if the top team is a looser SK, or the top team is FaZe, people are going to stack their teams like that. Then you've got the factor that, unfortunately, some of the tactical teams had a rough time the last year. So you think of North going downhill. Astralis kind of got stuck in a rut where they were a very good team, but they just couldn't win somehow. Um, arguably due to roster, but you know we didn't really know as much back then. It seemed like they had pretty good players. So when you consider at the moment, I'd already say Astralis is an amazing tactical team and they're dominating the game. I think there's definitely room for G2. Now, G2 doesn't have players as good as Astralis right now, so maybe they need to be even better tactically or they need Kenius and Shocks to become baller players because obviously that's an aspect that I don't really know who could match that right now. If Kenius and Shocks were at anywhere close to peak level, they would instantly be a contender team just off that alone, in my opinion. That's so outrageously strong. I also don't know that they'll go pure tactical style. Like I, I think part of why existence has been brought back by Shocks is that, yes, obviously he's always going to run tactics because that is his strength and his skill set and setting up a team and running a team. But I also think the main reason was that he actually has over the years, from when I've talked to him, 
He's also evolved as a player. He doesn't think it's a pure execute game like the beginning of CSGO, like he tried to run from source. He also understands you have to leave a bit of room for players and you have to sometimes make mid-round calls that weren't a tactic you planned. And most crucially, every time he's ever had success with shocks in his teams, there has always been a level of compromise where at least shocks got a little bit more autonomy and could kind of play off what he wanted to do and in some senses be a secondary leader. So I think that, You'll see uh, it'll be kind of a hybrid style, but I do think that that it, they essentially have to have a tactical system if they want to get players who at the moment aren't considered top pros to be competing with top pros. So, like, in terms of the way they've set up the team as well, you don't think that other teams are going to copy that either because uh, right now we see a lot of these super teams where yes. you just try to stack as much skill as possible, whereas D2 have, like... You, they got a Smith in there, they got Body in there. So obviously that's a different way to build a team. Do you think that's going to be copied in some way if they, if they succeed? Yeah, that's the concern is that uh, I think most of the team's personnel wouldn't fit it. Like, for example, I think it would be a mistake if Mouse Sports tried to go really tactical style. If anything, I think that's what's allowing them to flourish is that they have a bunch of players with it. It almost feels like it's just the blend is good. I don't even know that they have some overt, fabulous chemistry. I think they just have a good blend of players who seemingly from day one just fit together. So you let them play, you let them do what they want. Odds are you're going to get some top placings. I do think there are teams out there that logically will play tactically. Like I actually think the new Optic team, if they're going to be at their best, probably should play tactically because Snappy's a tactical game leader. Then you add in supposedly the complaints from Config and Cajun were not enough tactical style because they're Danish, so it's what they're brought up on. I definitely think you'll see the tactical teams out there. It's just that, yes, if teams have gone the superstar aim star stack the lineup with as much talent approach like arguably nip it probably doesn't make sense to go super tactical there i don't think you've got the personnel to do it because that's also the part i'll actually tie this to a concept from league of legends that's a a a weird one that passed by a lot of experts over the years which is that in league of legends one of the key roles in a team is the jungler because he's the guy who puts awards down gives you the vision and obviously also comes and creates 2v1 scenarios in the different lanes by coming and doing a gank now the problem is when you have champions in League of Legends that are viable, that are really mechanically intensive, you can do amazing like skills and abilities. And as a result, if you're a jungler, you can get all these sick ganks off that you can make work when they shouldn't work or against strong players. And you can get lots of kills and you can get your head team ahead early in the game. The problem is people think to themselves, right, well, that guy's just an amazing player. He's the best jungler. So then when the meta in League of Legends switches so that you can't play those mechanically intensive champions and you play the champion that aren't even really about mechanics. You're just like making decisions and you have maybe like auto-aim abilities or just simple point-and-click abilities. People then get surprised that the mechanically strong jungler sometimes is not even vaguely a top jungler anymore. And suddenly the people who have beaten him are people who didn't have great mechanics. Now, what they're not understanding there is the personnel of the jungler fits to what the strength of the style and viability within the meta is. And so for me, it's like that with players and, and teams. It's not that tactical in-game leaders and teams are superior to loose style fragging teams. It depends what your personnel is. You have to find what fits you the best, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we got one last question from Flame Naz. With the expansion of CSGO in the East from the perfect world Chinese re- CSGO release to even Western orgs such as Optic investing into the Indian market, do you think there's still potential for CSGO to 
exceed its current status, challenging League of Legends or Dota in peak viewership as an esport title, or do you think it's bound to be in its current place with only marginally increasing or decreasing? I, if I had to bet, I would say that CSGO doesn't go much higher than it is right now, and that if it does, actually the growth would somehow come from some sort of like black swans type scenario where you created some sort of crowdfunding or some sort of new in-game element that made people play the game again or maybe you improved the casual side and more people play but those would all essentially come mainly from the current market western world of europe and north america and a little bit of certain other regions i don't think that uh <coughs> china and in some senses more importantly korea will ever be fully activated in csgo like the game's already been out in these regions the game has servers in these regions what what do people think is uh, the fans there are waiting for like i know when you see those viewing figures for like a star Ledger, for example from chinese fans you think hey that's quite a lot that is nothing if you see the viewing figures for like league of legends uh, other games that have a fully activated chinese scene dota 2 like in those games the numbers are like like 80% of the views comes from China alone. So, and then in terms of top players, like, you know, half the good players in a game like League of Legends come from Korea. And so these are regions that it is vital to activate if you want to be the biggest esport in all respects. And unfortunately, Counter-Strike has not only failed to so far, but there's sort of nothing to suggest that overnight these regions are going to get activated because they've already got the servers, they've already had the marketing push, they've already got the marketing partners. For whatever reason, they just don't, doesn't seem like they're going to be games that that become part of it if i had to guess i've always thought that it was the lack of the free-to-play element that probably handicapped those games because from the times i've spent in korea i lived there for about a year and a half and from knowing people within the chinese scene most gamers who are the casual gamers just go to a pc cafe and that what you pay for is the hour in the pc cafe you don't buy the games you just pay for the hour in pc cafe and you pay whatever's you play whatever game is on the machine so if counter strike isn't on the machine counter strike doesn't exist for you that's a good point i mean i guess in china is like it's the key one because like you look at nba even it has 50 million viewers for like compared to 20 million viewers in america it has 50 yes. million just in china and it's just like kind of a big market for anything even the kentucky derby which is like you think horse racing that's really southern american it had like i think 100 million viewers in china and it's just like that's crazy but uh, I think China is definitely the big market you have to unlock in Korea, of course, as well in terms of culture. And we had some good Chinese. Well, we've had like Tai Lu, but other than that, there hasn't been like a team where it's like, oh, I want to be like this. I think they're really cool. So I feel like CSGO really missed the mark with China. And you mentioned free to play. That's a good point. But um, that's that's a really big issue, I think, for contracts growth. I mean, I, I definitely don't like have the answers for that one. You know, I don't think anyone does, unfortunately. And if you look at the way big esports games works like there's an element that no one can really plan. Like, like you can't look back and say Riot Games were geniuses and knew what they were doing. You know, they just took a different approach. It mm -hmm. turns out their approach ended up being one of the better ones. I mean, there's areas in which it's not actually that great, but in terms of the overall numbers, you can't really argue with it. For me, it's kind of like trying to make something go viral or become a social phenomenon. You can't really do it. You know, you can put good ideas out there and you can try and craft it and steer it a little bit. But a lot of that stuff is like a snowball effect, you know, like, like one of the big problems with a lot of games is this is that actually how I think games like Fortnite got huge is it's not like they did the best marketing or anything or even have the best game. What happens is the, per the way you get a game that is massive is instead of the person who sees the advert or knows about the game already playing it, 
he tells his friend who tells their friend who gets their other friend to play. Like that's like three or four levels deep <laughs> where you're not even directly touching or affecting those people, but they're getting influenced by the social element of it. And, you know, as much as you might try to create that, I think as we've seen with YouTube videos and campaigns, et cetera, it's, there's, there's an element of luck with it. Certainly people are hard to predict. For sure. And so with that question, that concludes the uh, episode for today. Thank you to Thorne for coming on the podcast. And uh, for all the listeners out there, you can find the podcast on wherever you enjoy podcasts. Um, thank you for stopping by and hope you enjoyed uh, time. Yeah.